Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. The smooth, sultry voice of, of Angel <laughs> on Ram Nintendo episode 151. And this episode is... Um, That's how many original Pokemon there were. That is correct. This is the Mew of the Ram <laughs> the Nintendo Mew, Podcast. The Mew episode. This is the Mew episode. We should just name after Pokemon at this point. So next episode is the Chikorita episode <laughs> of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. But anyway, this episode we're calling not Chikorita, not Mew, but Out of the Shadows... And I guess you could argue the name comes from a couple possibilities. Uh, from the sequel to the Ninja Turtles live action movie? Naturally, that's that's the first reason. But also, also from the other Ninja Turtle game for the Xbox that was a download only, Team and T Out of the Shadows. Correct as well, because naturally when we're talking about our podcast that has nothing to do with Ninja Turtles this episode, we of course name it after Ninja Turtles. Yes. Uh, but also we're talking about also Fire from and... the Ninja Turtle comic called Team and T Out of the Shadows. <laughs> The, yes, they tend to use that title a lot, and so do we now. We are part. We are officially TMNT canon. Um, everything we say on the show has a direct line to everything that happens in Ninja Turtles. Ooh. So if April does something weird, if if Instant Splinter does something right weird, here. it is because we were talking about Fire Emblem Echoes this episode. That's why direct line. But anyway, yeah, we do have impressions later in the show. Fire Emblem Echoes: Shadows of Valencia. We also have uh, all the news like uh, about arms from the direct and the global test punch, including our impressions. We have. The Mario and Rabbids leak. We have confirmation of Monster Hunter Double Cross coming to Switch. All these things are, you could say, our games are now coming out of the shadow as we approach E3. Uh, or, here's a third reason we could call it Out of Shadows. Sonic Forces. They're out of shadows. Like, literally, they're out of Sonic's friends. They are now just letting you create your own character. So any, so it's choose your own adventure. Is it TMNT? Is it Fire Emblem? Is it any of these other things? That's why this episode is called that. Um, all these things, plus third-party Switch game news, April sales numbers, impressions of Magikarp Jump, which is a real game where you jump Magikarp on your iPhone and Android. We have all that this episode. Um, so there's timestamps at ramtown.com for the ones you're most interested in. And uh, I guess Cowabunga, her, t- Heroes right in a ha- Half Shell. I'm just thinking, where are other taglines in the tutorial since apparently that's what this episode's about? Uh, you hit the big ones. Okay. So Cowabunga, let's get going. <laughs> so the, I think the the one thing apparent across like everything that we're talking about today or a lot of it is that E3 is in the air. Like it's still a few weeks away, but we've hit this kind of steady drumbeat of individual game news that's underway. And we're getting all this stuff leading into E3, including announcements and leaks and whatnot. And on Nintendo's first party front, it came by way of the <clears throat> one-two punch of ARMS via both a direct and an ongoing demo that's going on actually this weekend when this episode goes up called the Global Test Fire, which is not just this weekend, but next weekend too. And uh, then the game comes out mid-June, so they're kind of priming the pump here. And I've played the Test Punch a few times. You've played the Test Punch a few times. I'm sure many of our listeners have played the Test Punch a few times. So really the first thing with ARMS there is even to discuss is we played it, what do we think of it? So back in March, I played little 10-minute bite-sized pieces of it at the Switch preview event gave impressions of that it was very you know subdued and that was me versus a computer and me versus another person one-on-one simple now the real thing's out and i like it but i'm curious what you as the fighting game aficionado of our podcast think angel because we haven't really talked about it too much outside of the podcast even because we just like literally the test punch is going on as we record right now so what's what's your takeaway um i guess it kind of went back to my initial impressions of it I guess I did. I just didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. 
Uh, I was really looking forward to it. And I think I had the same kind of thoughts about the game when it was first revealed to like, oh, I don't know, this seems kind of simplistic. And then the more they announced about it, the more the hype build, the more complex it looked. It's like, whoa, okay, man, I can't wait for this game to come out. I want it to be like another game I could just add on to the the Smash Brothers, the Mario Kart that I play online all the time. Yeah. Except Mario Kart is, well, y'all know. Yeah, you, like, you, you listen to the last episode to yeah. hear your real thoughts of Mario Kart. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that, that's, a, that's a separate thing. Well, yeah, I just needed something else besides Smash Brothers. Because Smash Brothers really is like the only game I played competitively online for a while besides Mario Sonic All-Stars Racing. And for the most part, I'm just playing with friends. And I was really hoping this would kind of be it. I mean, it's still way too early to tell. This is just impressions. But it, it just wasn't... I guess, yeah, I guess... I didn't click. click yeah, the, the core mechanics of just throwing out punches and... I guess just dodging. And the, the way the game feels just, you know, just didn't really gel with me. It's it, just, it just felt too slow. It's it, it's yeah. interesting because like at first brush, so I played two test fires, hourly, like the full thing. Actually, beyond the full thing because Nintendo's put the server up early, but played two plus hours. The first time I played it, so the Friday it went live, I was so confused. <laughs> like I wasn't confused. Like the motion controls work, the button controls work, everything works, everything's what you want it to be. There's no weird glitches with motion. It actually does work. But it's just like no one knew what they were doing. There's no strategy. Like everyone was in the same pot of just like, what is going on? I don't get it. So it's just like chaos, especially in the four player battles, which are still super chaotic and confusing. Uh, but yeah, so at first it just kind of felt flat or shallow. It's like, oh, I just flip. I just, well, not flip. I throw punches and I guess that's it. But then I went back today, the day of recording, which is the Saturday of this weekend, and played it again. But this time I was like, okay, I'm sticking to just standard controls. I'm sticking to just min-min. As much as I want to love Helix, Helix is my man, the slime, my slime man. But he's kind of an advanced character, and I really like his min-min's abilities better. So I stuck with min-min. I stuck with phys- uh, not motion controls because I found that I physically start moving too much with the motion controls, and that misreads me. Um, once I did that, it was like a whole different game almost. So I feel like maybe it's because I'm casual and you're more of a, like, uh, fighting game connoisseur I don't know but like for me I just like oh yeah this makes sense this is great but was, yeah, it, yeah, was it a lack of depth or was it just like you want it to be faster I think that's it, it there, there just isn't enough depth to it I mean there's there's definitely depth there's layers yeah but they definitely don't go as far as I would have hoped and and and, and, and given like they can't really given like what they're dealing with I mean you're just you're throwing your arms out all you can really do is just dodge or block and if you dodge and you can retire it with your also own also jump over them. Yeah, well, dodging. I mean, oh, avoid oh, yeah, yeah. And... You can also counterpunch. You can yeah, punch your punch away. It's funny because, um, like, Smash Brothers, I mean, it has kind of the same thing. You could dodge, block, grab, attack, all those things. But then there's a ton of variations of how you can approach all those things. So that one, it's just mind games within mind games. And then Pokemon Tournament, which I had hoped... um. I guess I would want to get into. I, I felt like that one, I guess, simplified it a little too much for my liking. Because that mm. one was, it had the attack triangle. It had your grab, like grabs beat blocks, block speed attacks, attacks beat grabs. Yeah. But unlike other fighting games where like, oh, you have high attacks, you have low attacks, like that you kind of have to figure out like, okay, I can't just block because that leaves me open to other things. Like there's, there's just, there's layers on top of that triangle. But Pokemon Tournament just kept it at that base it doesn't matter what attack you're throwing as long as you're blocking it's just a block and you pretty much once you throw it out you're 
I guess committed to that move, and you just kind of have to wait and see if it works out. Is your fear that arms? Is your it's, fear that it's arms almost, is almost like it, the same it, it literally, in that regard? Like, well, just to wrap up that thought, but Sorry. that game literally felt like you were playing rapid fire rock paper scissors. Yeah, like almost like you just press a command and then you wait and see if it worked out, and then it's like, okay, cool, it did. So let's just keep going. And I mean, I don't know. It's weird because I know fighting games for the most part are kind of like that. Just like press a move and you wait and see if it works, mm-hmm. but. I guess for Smash Bros. it felt more instantaneous. Pokemon Tournament was kind of there, but I felt like it broke it down a little too much, and I feel like ARMS broke it down even further. Cause See, I now wonder... Because now it's even more of that. Rapid Pursuit, just wait and see, kind of go. But, I mean, that's only just what I've played so far, and, like, the first... Kind of like you like the first um, round of the test yeah, fire. The test or, punch. Yeah, the test By punch. the way, it should be called Sparring Session. What are they thinking? Anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah, the first round of the test point, I was just trying to figure out the controls, messing around with the different characters, and... By the end of it, I really liked playing as Ribbon Girl, and I just stuck with the popper and the sparky glove. Mm-hmm. And then the next test session, the one today, I just spent the entire time just playing as her, pretty much just figuring out her mobility. And by the end of it, I, I every single one-on-one match I went into feel like I figured, like I figured out, I felt like I figured out the game. As far at that, well, at the point, just the controls. At that point, it was just like, all right, now just start giving me harder opponents. Yeah. And there were some people that were really hard, but those matches just came down to both of us were blocking, waiting for the first one to throw out a move because if I found, at least like for the time being and for this kind of game, actually same thing with Pokken, usually playing defensively is better than playing offensively because reacting to something is definitely better than mm-hmm. throwing out the first guess. Mm-hmm. So we're just both like holding onto our shields and like, okay, I'm not going to attack. I'm going to wait for you to attack. So then and luckily since um, Rebbing Girl can practically fly because you could jump, dash, jump, dash eventually I get close enough that they just want to throw something out or since I'm holding out my shield so long they're like oh I'm gonna go for a grab but since you can release right away you can just jump out and retaliate I wonder how much I mean it sounds like I mean there's a lot to it but I guess because like you're there's just a lot of wait time in between I don't know it just felt you want something faster yeah I mean this is at the end of the day arms is basically a projectile fighter like you you're, the whole premise is you're standing far away and you have these really long hands that thwack people in the face so or punch it. Yeah, and, and so I I guess that's part of the territory. But it, it and the it, thing is that like also yeah. whenever I'm playing a lot of fighting games, I typically distance myself from any projectile users. Like my favorite characters to use in Smash Brothers are the ones that have to go in your face and so just throw punches. Game of projectiles is not up your like, alley at all. Yeah, like I typically just like using projectile. Rob is like the only exception, but even I don't like to use them as much as before. Whoa. Drop the water everywhere. Oh, You're so good, frustrated with Good arms. thing it's closed. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Because I'm forced to play as someone with a projectile, which yeah. I normally don't. Because well, I typically find that playstyle not as fun, but since everyone's a projectile user, it's a little different. It should change it, yeah. It's yeah, funny because... Um, it, I mean, I'm not holding anything against it. Like, Don't get me wrong. Like This game, like, it definitely feels like really polished. It looks like it's really well done. It's just... Yeah. I guess it's just not my cup of tea. I mean, we can't expect to love every single game either. I think part yeah. of it, honestly, is Nintendo. Because you're saying that, like, you can see that there's death, but there isn't what you're doing. Like, it's very, you know, oh, this guy's dodging, so I'll dodge. This guy's doing that, so I'll, I'll do that. But I feel like part of that's the demo's fault a little. I think there's more layers to it because, I mean, Nintendo's going on and on. There's thousands of combinations of different arms you can do. Like, they have seven different attributes that items can have or that your arms can have. Oh, Fire, electricity, that, that ice, was, water, okay, da, yeah. da, 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 da. And they have, like, real quick, finish this mm-hmm. on, and then, yeah. And then they have the different arms types and, you know, heavy beats light beats. Heavy beats medium, heavy, medium beats light, et cetera, et cetera. So they have at least two systems going on at once, supposedly. And then on top of that, they have, you know, the ability to literally take any fire and put any arm on it. But what the demo does, I think might hurt people that are looking for a more nuanced fighter when they're playing this is 
Which again, it's a demo. You can't expect them to do this, but just saying. What might have hurt in the eyes of hardcore fighters like you or whatever is they're like, hey, here are seven characters, and you're guaranteed that they're going to have at least this one move and maybe a second move that can alternate because we give you three options, but you have two hands. So obviously there's only one that won't be present at any one time unless someone doubles up, but why would you do that? Um, so the variety is shot. The variety is gone before it even really begins, you know? Because like if you're three matches in on test punch number one, you have probably seen what will become the most common fires that are used. Yeah. So that, if you're hesitant because it's projectiles, and you're hesitant because like this is not my fighting style, and then you see the exact same actions over and over and over for test punch number one and number two and number three, up and up and up till number nine in a week from now, you I could see why you'd immediately be like, this is very shallow, lackluster. But yeah, but the final I, game, I know, but I, I think we're more. saying that like it really just seems like exactly why, or I feel like exactly why I feel this is going to be an issue, even like yeah, even in the long run. Is because, yeah, because of how the fact you only have two gloves. Like, it doesn't matter that you have thousands of possible glove combinations. After a while, you're going to learn all the gloves. But the, I guess the root of what I feel is the main issue is that the moment the match starts, that's all you're going to stick with for the next, like, minute and a half. You're right. literally only, you have three attacks. You have right arm, whatever that's that, true. whatever that that's is, true. and you have left arm. So if you know they have, okay... They have the Slapamander and the Sparky. So they can only throw a really curved arm or a really straight arm. And that's it. For the next minute and a half, you just have those two attacks and a grab. That's all you can do to your opponent. Two attacks. It's like if you're playing Smash Brothers with only yeah, two attacks and a grab. Like you Good analogy. <laughs> you're playing with two attacks and a grab. It's like in another game where you play with two attacks and a grab. No, 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 I know you. No, yeah. I, I mean like in Smash Brothers you have like it's not over like you're gonna do a different analogy no. and they're like, wait, it's the same. <laughs> no, well fine in Smash Brothers you have like over thirty different moves you can do. It's Mario Kart it's, it's if like, all you could do was throw bananas and you knew how to anticipate those bananas at any one moment. Like there were no other items. Yeah, you're pretty much yeah. just handicapping yourself, yeah. I guess. But yeah, it's that's actually an interesting point. Which I wonder, it, I wonder if that's why. Which is why, like, yeah, because like for that minute, it's like there's no. It just it felt repetitive. Like halfway through, it just felt like like oh, I want to do other things, but all I can do is just throw this arm or that arm or grab. I wonder like, that's it. if ah, oh, but you could jump and throw an arm or duck and throw an arm. <laughs> but no, I wonder. Yeah, if, but because uh, it's auto locked, like it doesn't really matter. I can't like throw an arm upwards not fully to anticipate. It's not fully auto locked. Like the well. No, well, it, it's vertically or auto lock, but horizontal, you can no, yeah, sure yeah. miss. Trust no, me, yeah, yeah. I've missed. <laughs> no, yeah, because they could dodge it after right. Yeah. But I mean, if you can throw your arms in any direction, I feel like that would make it cool. But yeah. that would also be—I don't know how they would do that. So. I have no idea. Well, no, so, I mean, so, well, that's the thing—is some of the arms are different. Like, uh, oh, what's her name? The Mech- Mechanica. Her one from standard arms. Oh, yeah, I should say in the, the demo is, a, is that hammer that goes vertically up and down, or. Helix's bouncy ball of an arm that then splats you in the face, which is very yeah. in Mario Kart. But, um, but that's the thing, like once you pick Once them, you know they're ver- But if you have that vertical, and then if you have that as a vertical and one as a horizontal, in theory, that makes things a little more complex right there, because now you have to. You can't just jump to dodge. Yeah, but I mean. I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's still it's still a little less, which almost makes me wonder if that's why Nintendo's been so big on, like, you have to think about what your opponent will do. Like, they keep harping in their marketing, like in the Treehouse Live segments, in the blog posts that they're doing on the Treehouse uh, Tumblr, all that, they keep going on and on about, like, you have to outthink your opponent. You have to figure out your opponent's strategy. And I wonder if that's because, like, well, for a minute and a half, you do only have three moves, so how's your opponent going to use it? Are they going to lean on this? Are they going to lean on that? What are they going to do? I guess the pro- I guess this is where I guess it feels like the cause... kind of game that, like, after, like, maybe a month or two and after the game's released, people yeah. are going to figure out this one combination that... It's just, yeah. like, why would you use anything else? And maybe that's why, for better or worse, they're doing the randomization of how you obtain 
your gloves, your arms. Which is which I really don't like. And I said that when they when we first saw I mean, hints of honestly, this, and I called it. And I'm like, this is a bad idea. I still think it's a bad idea, but that counteracts the fact that everyone will have the same character. Yeah, I, almost entirely. Honestly, this is why I like um, really like Splatoon's like attack setup mm-hmm. because like instead of letting people find this OP combination that everyone will use, you're kind of forced into a set combination with your alt, your I mean, your alternate weapon, your super, and your main weapon. Like they're all they all come in bundles, so you kind of yeah. have to pick and choose like what you want to deal with. And because well, of that, people end up like maining a few of them just say for the variety. Yeah. But in arms, if you can pick anything, I feel like people would just gravitate to a certain thing. I kind of wish they gave you like okay, Springman has these twenty to work with, maybe not just six. Mm-hmm. But at least that way, you know, like okay, Springman is this more type of person. This is what I have to deal but with. But then is that significantly different than I don't your know. point with the arms? from before because if you go into your battle and you're like oh it's spring man this guy's gonna stay low to the ground for example then you have a minute and a half of just knowing i can jump a lot or if it's you know uh helix and oh this guy yeah, it's has kinda... great vertical or has great uh like hook shots then you know which he doesn't he's actually the opposite but then you know okay i need to stay close to the center of his body well, I mean, like, knowing what you're going to fight against isn't really that... I mean, it's... I mean, going back to Smash Bros., it's like, okay, yeah. I'm fighting Bowser. I need to keep my distance because he yeah. has to rush at me. Or, like, oh, it's Bayonetta. I need to, like, jump a lot more from blah, blah, blah. Right. But but then there's variety within that, which I think yeah, is the thing, your like, point. Yeah, yeah, it's like, once you start fighting them, like, it, you're just doing the same three things at each other for a minute and a half. This may honestly be the difference between, like, a hardcore fighting connoisseur or fanatic like you and, like, the more casual like me. Because I have no problem with this. Like, I'm not... I'm not trying to be like, like oh, everything Town does is great. Because honestly, the first hour of ARMS, I was like, I like it, but I don't love it. But now I've come around a little. But um, yeah, this might be a difference in that you're looking, you expect depth. And what Nintendo's saying your depth is, is, well, there's variety. And and if you think of it like chess, you try and outsmart your opponent, then there's depth because you're applying your own depth to it. Versus Smash Bros, where it's like, literally, you have 20 different things you can do at any one moment. I mean, what it seems to me is that I just have to look at this game like another Mario Kart. Just ah, sure. just a more competitive Mario Kart. Because unlike Mario Kart, there isn't as much of a random factor. Like, they definitely made it clear yeah. that there isn't. Like, I'm sure if you go to ranked, because they do have a ranked mode, you won't have those items coming out or whatever. By the way, how cool is ranked mode? They were showing this in the direct. We obviously couldn't try it in the uh, in the test punch. But how cool in, in ranked mode is it that you can say, I want to go in ranked mode, and then go do something else in the game, and then they'll arcade style a new challenger approaches as you're playing something else single player. I mean, I would, sort of hook you back in. I mean, I would hope they did that, because like, almost every other fighting game does that. They let you go everywhere in the game? Yeah. Oh, Smash Bros. doesn't. Yeah, That's my only point. Oh, fine. Every non-Nintendo. Yeah. Well, for Nintendo, honestly, the lobby set, like the whole I guess I've used to that from like Marvel vs. Capcom or Street Fighter. Sure, yeah, you, sure. Just, you could go to story mode and like, do oh. the campaign and then... Like, well, oh. I was impressed by that. I was also impressed. And that's by cool. Them. I mean, like, yeah. I, I didn't think Nintendo would do that. They they nailed online with this thing. Like, the whole lobby system is so well done. Like, it's really first of all, it's very unique visually. Like, it's really cool to look at because you have those like there's 20 people in a lobby. If I, I believe is how they explained it in the test punch, up to 20, and they kind of cycle between different things with those people. So we had in the test punch, we had what the party mode. I forgot what it's actually called. Yeah, um, party mode. Oh yeah, it is called party match and uh, party mode, party match, and so one minute you're doing one fight against one person. I kind of wish they were best out of three, but. That would drive you even crazier because that's even more repetitive. But um, no, I mean, two well, then three. they could choose their. Yeah, yeah, they could choose. If anything, two out of three would definitely help, just because then you could like, all right, am I going to stick with the same ones? Do I want to change yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, actually, no. If what? anything to kind of add to it, just I don't know. Well, two out of three is in the real yeah, game. Yeah, because two out of three adds another layer to two it. Two out of three is when I play. I mean, if something arms, doesn't work, do you want to counter them? Do you want to like? Yeah. 
stick with your team because you think they're going to change because they don't want you to get used to their strategy? When I when I played it back in March at the Nintendo preview event, it was out of three. When you look at ranked screenshots and whatnot in video, it looks like it's out of three. It looks like it's out of three in everything except this party match mode, which is like a grab bag of things. That's what I say about the license and so cool. Is so you're these 20 people and you're in it and you have little icons of yourself and then they kind of float around and get ma- matched in different ways. So... One minute you might be doing one on one against one person, then next minute you and three other people in the lobby might be going four against like four free for all, which is the most chaotic thing ever. But then a minute after that, you might have the guy from before, but now you're teamed up with him doing uh, the volleyball mini game or V ball, which is getting quite a lot of flack online. I feel like the volleyball mode, oh. and I get it. Like if you want to fight, it kind of interrupts the flow. But as it own, as its own mini game, it's actually pretty fun. It kind of reminds me of the monkey ball, the Super Monkey Ball mini games. I guess because it's one of those games that I feel I would like I I would only play volleyball if I'm choosing to play volleyball. Right. Yeah. Being forced yeah. into it may not be best, which is kind of the one downside of the party match system is that you're kind of forced. And hoops, presumably, hoops is such an awesome concept where you're literally slam dunking your uh, your other fighters by grabbing them. Like that's just great. But uh, yeah, that too is probably one of those things. There, if you're playing party match, you're not going to want that to happen the nice thing if, is that if you're going to party match i feel like at that point is... yeah you're pretty much going in like oh i kind of feel like i don't know what i feel like playing whatever maybe that's another downfall Cause, i mean you the, do because uh... you do have the i mean you do have ranked you do yeah. have that might be presumably down... like matches only or maybe only volleyball or that might be another downside the test punch is a force that won the party match which means you don't have the best of three, well, which means you do have the volleyball like it's to... a good way to showcase the game but it... yeah because you get to try a little bit of everything yeah but then like for people who want certain things it kind of yeah i mean i wasn't holding yeah i mean i'm definitely not going to hold that against no no it's just an observation but i mean and on top of the fact that like i'm definitely not i I mean i haven't decided like oh i hate this game i'm not going to play it i mean it's still early and this is pretty much how i felt with monster hunter i actually despised that game in the beginning i thought it was really boring and i only bought it just because it came with a classic controller pro and now yeah, and then I gave it they a chance because the, uh, yeah, the, the Wii U had like no games for a long time, and I'm like, oh, I need a game. And yeah. Monster Hunter just came out. Well, I'll give it a try. And yeah, it th- worked. I I, it. I think this is a game that I think I get why Nintendo did the test punch. I think it's smart they did the test punch, but I don't think this game is as much of a natural fit for some sort of like quick demo thing like this as Splatoon was. Because Splatoon. Within like two matches, you, def- you got it. Yeah, and you definitely feel like yeah, yeah this game is has the variety, the depth I need, yeah. the competitiveness. Yeah, this one feels like Test- somewhere between Mario Kart and Splatoon as far yeah. as which makes like, sense. I mean, it makes sense what Nintendo, which is cool. Like, it's a nice in between. Yeah, and it makes sense what Nintendo's doing. They are splatooning a fighting genre. They're splatooning the fighting genre. They're Mario Kart, much like Splatoon was the Mario Kart of shooters. This is the Splatoon of fighters. Like, it's kind of that lineage. So they're taking a thing that's not common in Fires, which is, like, this concept of projectiles being key and making a whole game around it. Kind of like Splatoon was like, well, it's not about the death so much as the other things going on around the death. So it's it's interesting. But I do want to say lobby system. One mm. thing I thought was really cool. That Paint the landscape with your, their blood. Yeah, exa- exactly. Wow, that's dark. Uh, <laughs> one thing I did want to say about the lobby system I thought was really cool, though, is so you have the people shuffling around. Like, you kind of got sidetracked from this, which is neat. But I really like that it a shows you how people are doing not just in battle but between battles with those currency numbers you can actually see okay this guy who's been in the lobby for five minutes he's actually gonna be a threat because he's moving up fast at the currency but this other guy was very high currency maybe he's just been in the lobby for a long time he's only getting plus ones it's not as big of a deal i don't need to really worry about him that sort of thing so then when you go into a four by four or a four by four when you go into a, <laughs> when you go head first into a plank board you know now when you go into a four on four or a three on three you know who to target 
better just by watching the lobby, which I think is kind of a clever way of doing it. If you can it. even get the targeting to work right. If you can get the targeting to work right, which is something I wanted to mention, which is one-on-one is great. Everything else is a little hokey. Yeah, two-on-two is passable. Two-on-two is passable, but I'm not the biggest fan of the fact that you're tethered together. I understand why they did that because targeting's a little hokey and they don't want you to like have to swing your character like 180 degrees to find the other opponent, so they're keeping them kind of connected. But... It's a little weird that if I am fighting you and I punch you, not only do you go flying, but the guy who has nothing to do with me punching you also goes flying with you just because he happens to be your teammate. Like That's mm-hmm. a little weird. I think if they did a, nor- a normal form for like they have regularly, but just take out the tether and then make it two teams, that might in theory work better. The real the real bad one is three on three, though. Ugh. Like, First of all, I didn't even know how to switch between which character you want for like the whole first test punch, so that was horrible. But then once I figured it out, if you are not the one being double teamed, it's great. I won many matches when I wasn't the one being double teamed. In fact, I might have won three on threes more than any other. But when you're the guy that gets stuck being double teamed because it's bound to happen, it you're out so fast. Like I, I, it might just be a balancing thing. It might just be I don't know, but it that kind of bothered me a little, but. Besides that, like you, it, they are really pouring their heart and soul into this thing. Like, and I really like it. Don't get me wrong. Like, we're bringing on melancholy, but it's just it doesn't, yeah, like, it's not I mean, clicking with you. But yeah, I mean, I love the characters, love the music, and just like the variety in the game is really good. Well, first of all, I really think I kind of made the reference that they're sort of mirroring Splatoon a little. Like, um, you know, this is the fighting. Splatoon, this is the Splatoon of fighting games in a lot of ways. I mean, not just the fact that we have the test punch, which is just test fire two point not just the fact that we're going to get free content updates after the game comes out, much like Splatoon. In fact, it's the exact same strategy. New characters, new stages, new items. Uh, and not the fact that it's kind of this whole idea of like a new IP from Nintendo. But the way they do the world building in this, the personality this game has, it is definitely like Nintendo went to the Mario Kart team and said, Hey, wasn't Splatoon cool? What if you guys did that, but for a genre of your choosing? And then they're like, well, okay. Like, they have, like, all the different fake brands. They have all the characters have all these backstories. They have, like, this world around it where people are, like, celebrating the, the thing. Like, in Splatoon, it's like, oh, we love we love fighting. It's our favorite. You know, we love doing the um, turf wars. It's our favorite pastime. And then in this game, it's like, oh, we love these people that are, like, athletes to us. And they have this whole world around it, like, uh, Twin Teller or whatever her name is, like, has perfume ads in the background of her stages and stuff. Like, it's really elaborate it's and it's very similar in vibe to splatoon which i don't think is a coincidence at all it's for sure on purpose Hmm. but i mean like even like if you look at how they have like a fake language they use like if you look at like the arms league logo it does spell arms but it's kind of like a fake script sort of and they look at some of the other stuff in the game they compare that to like what splatoon does with its brand logos they're possibly even the same fake language i don't know maybe they're the same universe wouldn't that be a weird Hmm. though maybe in the you know in the direct where they showed the like final boss you fight in single player, which kind of looks like it's Biff, but with octopus uh, arms. What if Biff gets taken over by an octoling and it's actually Splatoon meets arms? And little did we know that they're just the same opposite sides of the same planet or something. Just just throwing out my crazy fan fiction. Well, I guess we'll see how wrong yeah. that is. In oh, the it's going to be so wrong. But that, that is um, actually the, the that boss brings up something I wanted to mention, which is the there are a lot of modes. Like, don't get me wrong, there's, uh, like, Mario vs. 100, you got the fighting, the team fighting, the party match, ranked match, etc., etc. They didn't really know what to do for single player, did they? I mean, I guess it's like any other fighting game, but Grand Prix does not seem all that exciting. I don't know how many people would need a single player in this, 
I mean, obviously Splatoon and like people are like, oh, they're even gonna have single player, and it ended up having like a whole story. But they look at Smash Bros, I mean, and it doesn't have much, and that's fine. So multiplayer. Yeah, I mean, some games can get away it. with it, but yeah. But this know. one's extra. It's just like I mean, just, fight ten in a row with slightly different conditions. I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't know, but then there's games like Injustice that like went all in on a single player campaign. That like that. I mean, I've seen um a few clips of it, and man, it's really good. That's just the production value. It's like man, I kind of wish this was the the standard because then it kind of makes the character interactions when you're playing the game regularly. I don't know. It makes you like the characters even more just because you have more time to get to know them as opposed to. I guess the marketing, (laughs) which is when you get to know them. And I think that's what bothers me about the Grand Prix mode is like. Nintendo built this awesome world. They have all these characters. They have, like, backstory. Like, Helix was designed by the the Arms League and was, like, gone wrong. You know, went wrong. And we're, like, that's our thing. Or Min Min loves it. Like, it's from a family that makes ramen, which makes you wonder why are her arms ramen? Aren't, won't her family eat her? But regardless, uh, like, all these backstories of all these characters. And then they're just kind of like, yeah, they're in the game, you know. Like, there's <laughs> so much potential for single player. Because, like, like I was starting to say, Splatoon. Like, Splatoon, everyone's like, oh, we'll even have single player. Does it need single player? And then they built a whole story. And Splatoon 2, which we'll talk about in a minute. Like, they really ramped up the single player, it feels like. So, to see ARMS not even have anything compared, like, a Splatoon single player equivalent is kind of disappointing because they did such a good job with the world building that maybe they'll patch it in later or something. I don't know. But it, that was, like, when I was watching the Direct, I thought everything was great in terms of party match, in terms of rank, 100, 100, 100. But that was kind of a bummer. I was like, really? That's all I gotta do? I mean, I guess there's Mr. Biff with eight arms at the end, but I don't know if that's enough, hmm. at least for me. But yeah, so that that's my thoughts on that. So do you think you're actually gonna pick it up day one, or you go like, wait and see? Because it seems like you were against it. Like, when we talked yesterday, we very briefly talked about this, and you were like, nope. You noped hard on it. But now you've kind of, you're still saying it's not quite a fit for you, but you seem to be slowly inching more towards the light, so to speak. I guess it depends on if there's other stuff that I'm interested in that's out at the time. It's the it's the day after E3, so there won't be anything that day, but there's going to be plenty of stuff announced on the horizon at that point. Hmm. Like, plenty, plenty. Well, how about this? Know. I'll I, buy I, it, I and I'm you can play my copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um... Yeah, I know for sure I'm getting it day one. It is a little different than... I think what maybe some people expect in terms of pick up and playness from Nintendo, but once you get over that hurdle, at least me as a more casual fighting game fan, I I am really enjoying it. So, teach their own, of course, but um, yeah. But I did mention Splatoon. You did. So I feel like we should touch on Splatoon because the Arms Direct also included a trailer for Splatoon 2's single player mode, and I don't know, it looked pretty great to me. Mm-hmm. It replaced looked... Captain Cuttlefish with Marie. Yeah, yeah. The premise is a bit like. Uh, not very. I mean, I guess from a Splatoon fan base perspective, oh my God, they're splitting up Callie and Marie. How could they? Did 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 Callie turn evil? Do you have to help Marie get her? Like, I I don't know. Like the art makes it seem like she's evil. Ah, like I could see the fan base game, but for like average Joe Nintendo fan, it's probably just like yeah, it's a, a palette swap of the of who you're helping. But I I will say the gameplay looks good like it kind of feels like it's basically the same thing honestly like the point i think we talked about after direct if i remember correctly you're basically like it's just the same thing right like it's just they went yeah, it's, it's just, the same but more it's just the more polished yeah. between one single player but i would look at it slightly different i would say it's the mario galaxy 2 so to more Earth's polished mario but one. well yeah but not only more polished but the thing that was cool about no, mario galaxy said, like, 2 mario galaxy, but Nothing, nothing against that. Yeah, no, the thing I love about Mario Galaxy 2 more than Mario Galaxy 1 is so they laid the groundwork in Galaxy 1 and then Galaxy 2 they're like, 
let's get crazy. Let's just, what can we do with this? Let's get really wacky. And there was all sorts of odd things, like one-off levels and weird little things. And then you look at Splatoon 2 single player, and first of all, really gorgeous looking graphics. It's like super neon and like fluorescent, and it's way more like visually appealing than the original was. And granted, in terms of gameplay features, it's like, oh yeah, you can now grind on rails instead of swim through them. Cool. But then the wackiness is coming through and i think much like splatoon 1 was inspired by galaxy splatoon 2 is inspired by mario galaxy 2 it was single player like bowling ball enemies giant bowling ball enemies the guy in the unicycle in the trailer like all these that huge i don't even know what he is on the unicycle but all that stuff is just like they didn't do anything like that in the first one this is definitely them like unleashed so to speak which gives me hope that's gonna be really cool and it, and it looks nice so I, i'm pretty excited for it but mm. The other thing that came out of that direct, only in Europe and Japan though, is that there is Splatoon hardware on the way. There are Joy-Cons in pink and green, there's a Pro Controller in pink and green, and we're not getting them for some reason. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't heard anything yet. I'm shocked, because Splatoon is big here too. Like, we're getting the arms banana yellow um, Joy-Cons, like, literally in two weeks. But we're not getting any Splatoon, fluorescent, neon, blind yourself when you play your Switch pink and green no really i mean i'm sure it'll eventually happen but same with the switch bundle actually so in japan and i think europe they're coming out with a switch hardware bundle with splatoon and in america we haven't heard a peep about that and in japan if you really want the bundle but can't get it they give you a nice alternative for five dollars you can get the bundle box just the box just a cardboard box with the bundle art so if you all have the box in your collection of Splatoon goodies, you can buy the box and just not get what's in the box. So would you take that other offer? Which is weird. They're offering where you could buy the box with the download code? Yeah, you know, that's what I was kind of segueing towards here. Um, maybe it would address my physical digital thing I was saying last episode, because my whole point was I want the convenience of digital, but... I like having a physical box on my oh shelf. Oh my god. It's like and it exactly would take care of it. Happens. But here's the problem, and here comes my ridiculous OCD, and there are going to be so many people that roll their eyes so far back in their heads that they're going to fall out of their chairs, their earphones will fall out, and they won't hear me actually say what I'm going to say. But some of my games already have cartridges. <laughs> some that, no, no, okay. <laughs> no, the, the thing I was going to say, though, is not every game would do this. That's the real issue. Not like so. I still have to buy physical. They want you to get the ones you can. But then at that point, why not just. Why not just suffer? Why not just go all in on the suffering? All right. Well, no, it's kind of like if I have if eighty percent of my cartridges are still physical cartridges. That's why one less you have to worry about. I guess. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if they're gonna do it in America. I mean, if you go to Japan, you've been. I've been. If, when you're in Japan, you go to Seven Eleven or whatever. They just have a wall of download code cards for Nintendo. Like any Seven Eleven, there's like a shelf of them. Like every single game has its own card, its own art. If you go to any electronics store, every single shelf for zelda for one two switch for snipper clips would have download cards next to the box in case of snipper clips they had a full shelf of just the download codes because it's not even a physical release but they treated it like one just with a code so this is the logical next step in japan to just give you the box but in america we don't have any of that if you're lucky your GameStop or your best buy might on rare occasions offer you a physical card that gives you dlc for fire emblem for example but that's it so I don't think we will see this here. So while it's great for the Japanese, it's not going to help poor old OCD physical versus digital Jason. So you're ridiculous. What? It's not my fault. That's not helping me. It is your fault. Nintendo's a ridiculous one for not <laughs> it's bringing all you. Them if they brought it here, I'd do it. I mean, it is on me. No, yeah. you're just gone digital. And just avoid it's too late. Me. I'm four games in. 
All right. Yeah. Anyway. Lost cause. But but I am a lost cause completely. You know what else is a lost cause? Not really. I just tried to figure out. Well, you could argue it is if you really hate it. Trying to keep that a secret? Mario and Rab. Yes. Trying to keep Mario and Rabbids a sequel. Uh, a sequel. A secret. <laughs> <laughs> secret. Also, good luck with the sequel, Ubisoft, because you got some pretty big blowback on this one. But, uh, yeah. I feel like... Uh-huh. I feel like somehow they just couldn't do it. Like, Nintendo... Do Nintendo's credit? Splatoon, ARMS, they are masters of a trickle of information PR campaign. Nintendo nails it. But the second they give their character to someone else, like Ubisoft... Just open the floodgates, I guess, because the leaks are going to be nonstop. Like, we've known about Mario and, Mario and Rabbids since the start of the year, if not late last year. And then it's just, like, everything just internal marketing slides that never leaks. How did that leak? How are we here? But, yeah, basically. Convince the players and the and the marketing. Yeah, but they can't convince you by saying, turtle shelves. You saw that on the slide, yeah, right? Yeah, I absolutely like, get it. I'm not, con- I'm not convinced when they typo turtle shells in a pitch for Mario. Like, no. Or conservative universe, no. Like, or calling Peach a badass, like, no. No, no, no. It's, well, their conservative universe is Mark. It's not going to be. But anyway, point being, it was a roller coaster, these leaks. And I don't mean, like, since de- December or January. I mean since the day the art came out. Because... I mean, granted, everyone's been like, what is this since Laura Kate Dale and Emily Rogers first mentioned on Twitter however long ago? But it was crazy just the day of. Because first there was that picture of a rabbit dressed as Princess Peach taking a selfie. It was grainy. It was a little res. It seemed to confirm everybody's worst fear that just this was going to be bad. Like, if that's the piece of art that leaks, that's not a good sign. But then, 90 minutes later, the rest of the artwork for the game leaked with the, you know, with Princess Peach rabbit in it. And it, it, it didn't look at bad it to be frank did not look like or look like there's a chance at least that maybe ubisoft was not destroying mario as we knew it so that was a plus um but then right after that came those internal marketing slides i just mentioned mm. by way of mario nintendo World report weapons. yeah by way of nintendo report and then that both suggested that it won't be as bad as we thought but also perhaps worse or equally bad as we thought so yeah it's it's a very hodgepodge now here's the thing here's the thing and i think i might have said this before maybe last episode but I, I do like some of the Rabbids stuff. Raving Rabbids on Wii was really fun. Rabbids Go Home was really good. I'm not opposed to the idea of a mashup. And what we previously knew about the game, like it being XCOM-style strategy RPG, having you control characters with cartoony guns, having it be Mario, Luigi, Peach, Yoshi, and then four Rabbid versions of them, like all of that seemed okay. I wasn't totally against it, and some of the stuff in these slides doesn't look so bad. Like, Yoshi has a pretty cool bazooka, not gonna lie. It's pretty awesome looking. And the new info we learned on top of that also gives me some hope. I mean, it's gonna be four worlds long, it'll be 20 hours, it's gonna have two-player co-ops throughout. They're saying it's gonna be uh, 60-30 combat versus exploration. The combat itself actually sounds pretty fun. If you like read all the internal marketing documents, it's saying things like there's gonna be interactive maps, so you're not just fighting other people on these flat maps, but There'll be warp pipes you can use. You'll have you'll have to hide behind cover, but it can be destroyed. They're destructible environments. So gameplay-wise, this could be cool. I don't have a problem with this. I think it could be great, maybe. But where it gets concerning, at least to me, is uh, when you read the pitch, which is the stuff that you're starting to say. Like, each character has a personality now, which makes sense, because, you know, 
dialogue-driven RPG. People need to talk. They need to have defining features. But I don't know why Peach is being described as both, quote, a badass and, quote, a self-defense kick-ass, which, by the way, Ubisoft, mean the same thing, just so you know. Uh, I don't know why they're using that. I don't know why Yoshi is now an explosive head, which I assume is a bad translation for short-tempered because they're French, which is probably how turtle shelves, turtle shelves happen for the same reason, I'm sure. But I don't really know why they say that Peach was previously, quote, so cliche. I mean, granted, she was a damsel in distress, but you don't want someone who's like, hey, we're going to take your Mario franchise and call it super cliche and go on to say that the universe is, quote, conservative. We're going to shake it all up. It's like, no, 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 no. Mario works for Did a they reason. not play Mario Galaxy? Well, they also didn't play Mario Galaxy. But I think <laughs> they mean in terms of the attitude. Like, well, I, don't I mean, want... I mean, I'll be at the characters in Mario Galaxy were uh, one-dimensional stories. But, well, yeah. But that wasn't the point, I guess. Yeah, I just don't... I'm just worried that if they're saying, like, Peach is so cliche, she is cliche. But to point out she's so Actually, cliche every... in a conservative universe, but now she'll be a badass. This reminds me a little too much of when The Simpsons introduced Itchy and Scratchy's Poochie. always shake it up. They do. That's yeah. the thing I don't understand. The Mario but... Luigi games, yeah. 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 So that's what I don't get. It's like all this wording, self-defense kick-ass, badass, cliche, conservative. It really makes me fear that this is, like, the Poochie of the Mario universe. Like, the way Itchy and Scratchy had Poochie in that one Simpsons, this is going to be that for Mario, and I'm a little worried. Um, I Also, you know, the fact that they have guns. <laughs> like, on one level, that's cool, but seeing Mario be Mega Man but with a bullet bill for an arm instead of, like, an arm cannon Mega Man style is a little weird. So, I don't know. And, and to be to be fair to Ubisoft, and to really anyone that's seen any of this, you got to keep in mind, this is not reflective of the final game. These are marketing pitches. These are what Ubisoft's like, this is how we're going to sell it, which is not the same as what it is. I mean, look at how movies are marketed. Sometimes a movie is marketed one way and it's totally different. Like uh, Passengers, for example, with Chris oh. Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. They marketed it as like, it's this epic sci-fi movie with a big twist. Well, the twist is in the first 20 minutes. It's not all twists. It's literally the setup for the plot, and then you just kind of follow them through the motions. Decent movie, but they marketed it totally different than what it was. So it's very possible Ubisoft is doing that here. And to Ubisoft's credit, they do seem to be trying to stay true to the lore of Mario. Luigi has a Poltergeist 3000. The rabid Yoshi, for reasons unclear, has a Bowser Jr. face mask on his gun. The Yoshi... The real Yoshi, his cannon seems to be some sort of nod to like a, the, the um, coconut gun from Donkey Kong because it has a banana thingy on the back. Like it might be a Donkey Kong cannon. I don't know. But with Nintendo watching this as they usually do, they're very protective of their IPs. So with that and with some of the lore we're seeing in just in that one piece of art, I'm hopeful all this like badass, kickass, yeah, da, 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 is just marketing speak, and the game might actually not be quite as absurd. Of course, having rabbits in it, it will still be absurd, and the humor will still be kind of slapsticky and miniony. But the other stuff leaves me cautiously optimistic. So basically, I'm no different off now than I was before seeing the art. So, but I don't know. I mean, what's your take? Because you were never big on rabbits, right? Opens the door for Mario and Minions crossover. Oh God, no! No, I don't think Ubisoft would ever let Minions <laughs> touch their rab. The same thing their rabbits touch, like nothing. Mario and Minions. I know, but if the rabbits touch Mario, they're not going to let the Minions touch Mario. They're going to fight tooth and nail and burn and tear oh, yeah, down yeah, for that. Because yeah. I'm sure Ubisoft. If I was Ubisoft, I'd be so mad that DreamWorks just took their rabbits, shaved off their ears, Illumination? made yeah. What did I say? Well, DreamWorks... Is it DreamWorks? Oh, yeah, it's Universal and Illumination, yeah. But I'd be so mad if Illumination basically shaved off the ears and painted yellow my characters and then made them say banana a lot and then, boom, they had the biggest hit in years. And meanwhile, Ubisoft can barely keep a Nickelodeon show together about the Rabbids. 
Like, I'd be mad. <laughs> I am fault them for that. But, yeah, I mean, what about you, though? Like, you you don't have an affinity for the Rabbids or any connection to the Rabbids. Like, seeing this art, seeing this as someone with no past Rabbid connection, does it look promising? Does it look concerning? Are you completely indifferent because um, you don't know what to expect one way or another? I guess I haven't formed an opinion of it. I feel like there's nothing I can say about it until I see actual gameplay. I don't hate the rabbits. I don't really care for the rabbits right. any more than I don't care for them. I don't know. Yeah. So you're indifferent. Yeah, I'm completely indifferent about them. So I don't know. Yeah. The two screenshots so, yeah. buried in the slides look somewhat promising. Yeah, it looks just, a little smartphone game. Yeah. But. Like once I see something, then I could be like, all right, this looks like fun. But for now, even even the concept, like I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Because I didn't really have an opinion on the rabbits. Yeah. Or, it's it's. It's the weird. It's one of the weird. There's definitely, you know, this. I guess it really. Like, I, I guess uh, the only thing I can say is that because I don't have any affinity for the rabbits, the game has to prove itself to me, as opposed right. to already me like feeling like you give it benefit of the doubt if it was Mario and Luigi, but because yeah. it's this other thing. Yeah, it doesn't have any benefit of the doubt. Basically, yeah. it has to prove its worth. Well, you'll get your official first taste of it at E3, which is when Ubisoft's own marketing slides promise it will be <clears throat> surprise <throat> revealed. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it's going to be out in August, apparently. And, um, you know, to be honest, I, I hate to suggest... I, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. Was this leak intentional? I don't necessarily mean the slides. I don't necessarily mean pointing like them admitting to turtle shelves being a thing that they said. But I love that turtle shelves type of kind of tell. But, like, if this was announced at E3 during the same time that Mario Odyssey and... You know, and we saw like Fire Emblem Warriors, and we got a first look at whatever secret uh, Switch games in town might be working on. This would get buried. No one would care. It will still probably get a little buried, but it's on more people's radar now than it probably would have been otherwise. Because this thing dominated like the Nintendo news world the day it happened. It was a pretty big story in the gaming world in general. Like, I can't help. I don't. I don't think they fully orchestrated it, but I can't help but think that once that first Peach and. Uh, rabbit is peach taking a selfie photo leaked i can't i kind of feel like ubisoft sent a note along to someone like yeah just put the full art out there it's fine i don't know like it was hmm. i don't know it just seems this works in their favor more than it hurts because yeah people are badmouth it now but it's exactly the same as when nintendo made the wii name announcement remember they were announced the name of the wii like three weeks before e3 back in 2006 mm-hmm. their whole argument was get out of your system make fun of it now and then in three weeks when we're talking about Wii, you won't be giggling every two seconds and actually appreciate what's under the surface, what's be like beyond the book cover, so to speak. I kind of feel like that's what Ubisoft's doing here. Because, yes, everyone's like, this is dumb. But if you're over it and you're like, okay, this concept exists, I get it. And then they show the gameplay and it actually looks good. You're not going to be like, but why is it rabbits? Because you had three weeks to ponder that thought. And just, <laughs> <laughs> like, you, don't need, you don't need to worry about that at that point. Existential so, crisis. Yeah, so that's the only reason I think this might have actually been leaked. Because it would certainly help their PR when the game comes out. But maybe I'm just being a conspiracy theorist. Time to know. calm the rabid fan base. Yes, the rabid, the rabid, rabid fans. But uh, the, the other question this raises, there's another question this raises, is what it means for all the other stuff Laura Kate Dale reported in the past that hasn't happened yet. It's been a while since we talked about her rumors. This goes before the Switch reveal, so December, November. And now they're suddenly relevant again because she was the biggest proponent of Mario plus rabbits by the way why is it not mario and why is it mario plus anyway a mario plus rabbits and she says that the source that gave her that information is also one that did all her other rumors she said that at the time so 
I mean, the stuff she said is it gonna come true? Like to to her credit, some of the stuff she reported is now coming true. She said there'd be a Switch bundle with Splatoon near launch, not at launch, near launch. It's happening in July. She said Smash Amiibo would be out within the first six months of the Switch. Granted, that's a pretty safe bet because they had to come out eventually. <laughs> yeah. But sure enough, they did within the first six months. They didn't hold them for the eventual Smash port or new Smash. Now, on the flip side, she also predicted there'd be a new Smash Bros. port that hasn't happened yet. She predicted Mario Maker might be on the horizon for Switch. That we have not heard a thing about. She also made note that uh, Xenoblade X port would come to Switch, which didn't happen. But we are getting Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is similar to what she said, but not exact. But what's interesting about that is, if you recall, Wind Waker HD for Wii U started as prototyping what a new Zelda game would be like on Wii U. So it's very possible that there was a Xenoblade port for Switch as a way to prototype how you would do Chronicles 2, and then they switched over to Chronicles 2. So I, I'll give her like a halfway right on that one, maybe. She also has said things like, you know, Beyond Good and Evil 2 will be on Switch as exclusive and will be announced sometime soon. Well, the creator did say it'll be, they'll be sharing more this year, just not at E3. And of course, she also predicted Pokemon Stars, which Eurogamer has separately reported as well. But the reason I'm going through all this is there's one thing on our list I want to point out, and I've been looking for a way to bring this up on the podcast for a while now because I don't think it's accurate, and I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think it's wires crossed, and that okay. is Pikmin 4. Miyamoto was the first to mention Pikmin 4. But when he mentioned Pikmin 4, he said the Pikmin team's working on the next one. That's all he said, next one, not four. Then Laura Kate Dale comes around and says um, – Hey, I heard there's a Pikmin project happening. It'll be coming next summer. It won't have four in its name. It'll be a reboot. That's paraphrasing her, but that's basically what she was saying. She also, and like I said, she also thought it would come out summer 2017. Well, hey, Pikmin does not have a number in its name. Is a bit of a reboot, and that's a totally different gameplay style, and is coming out this summer. So, will Pikmin four probably happen? I'm sure. But I don't necessarily think that what Miyamoto or Laura Kate Dale were talking about is what we're envisioning as Pikmin on Switch as a fourth entry. I think someone's wires got crossed and what they're actually talking about is, hey, Pikmin. So if you're disappointed by Rabbids and Mario, you're now doubly disappointed because that led to this discussion about Pikmin 4 not being real. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's my theory. I could be totally off base. I'd like to be off base. But it just seems like it all lines up a little too well to not be an actual Pikmin 4. So... I don't think we're going to be seeing Pikmin 4 this year. Because we previously were guessing that might, like a while ago, that that could be one of the surprise E3 games this year. Yeah. I have zero confidence in that happening now. It's just everything. Because I was like looking through the old stuff, and it all lines up with, hey, Pikmin, accidentally labeled as a Switch game. Oh. But well. just throwing it out there. But um, Better to keep your expectations on check. Yeah. So yeah, thanks, Mario and Rabbids. That you're the one that made me dig through Laura Kate's old rumors and come to this discovery. But uh, you can actually also thank Mario and Rabbids for what I'm sure is gonna be an incredibly awful wave of fan art coming soon. <laughs> There's gonna be all sorts of weird stuff. Meanwhile, on the flip side of that, you can already thank existing fan art for the weirdness that is Sonic Forces and its custom characters, because I'm pretty sure, from what I can tell, Sega basically saw the Google yourself plus the Hedgehog meme and went. What if that was a gameplay feature and then made it happen? It really feels like it. Like, basically, if you somehow missed it, listeners out there, the mysterious third character in Sonic Forces, the mysterious gameplay hook we didn't know what it would be, turns out is the ability to make a fully custom character. So you can choose from seven different species, wolf, rabbit, dog, cat, yes, hedgehog, among others. (laughs) 
and then accessorize it with hundreds of different items, hundreds of different accessories, objects, weapons, whatever. You have special items called wispins, which are, to be clear, the wisps of past Sonic games distilled into weapons. So they are wispins, which is officially worse than any wispins. pun. Wispins. wispins. Like weapons, but yeah. W-I-S-P-O-N-S. So like any pun title we've ever done on this podcast pales in comparison <laughs> to wispins. <laughs> I'm just saying. So that's the only reason I'm even mentioning the name. But yeah, so they have these custom wispins they can use. And then they are fully integrated into the game. They're in the 2D stages. They're in the modern 3D stages. They are in the cutscenes. They can have funny glasses. They can wear cool shoes. They can be whatever your weird deviant art fan heart desires. But Are you going to make one? I don't know. But I will are you going to get the game? That's the thing. From all things I can tell... This is the hook of Sonic Forces. There's no weird gameplay thing. There's no weird, like, werewolf Sonic. It's just, hey, it's Sonic, but now it's a custom character. And if that's all it is, I'm on board. Because I, I like Sonic Colors a lot, which is basically Sonic. Yes, they have the Wisp, but it's basically Sonic. You never have a part where it's, like, suddenly really slow or a part where you're fishing as a cat or anything like that. It's just Sonic with maybe your drill occasionally. So if that's all Sonic Forces is, it's just, like, normal Sonic. But, hey, you got this custom character, and he has a lasso he can use as well. Sure. I'm in, because that, that seems like the perfect way to jump back in where you get the 2D, you get the 3D, and it's just Sonic. <laughs> but if it's like there's some other hook on top Sonic, of this. Sonic, Sonic, and Jason the Hedgehog. Yeah, it's Sonic, Sonic, and Jason. But it's um, Jonic. J-Sonic. Jasonic. Jasonic. But like if, if there's more, if there's like some other separate hook they haven't revealed yet, some other new gameplay feature, I, depending on what it is, I might shy away. But this actually got me more interested. And not because it's a custom character, because it means there's not other weird things. Like, the Sonic cycle is almost kind of broken because usually the part where they reveal the weird thing is where the cycle comes back down. But this one, it seems like it's just yeah, flat I mean, for me. The thing about Sega, like, whenever they hit a Sonic game that people are really liking, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Then just make another one kind of like this one, just improve on it. Yeah. But Sega's like, nope, we're going to change it all again for yeah, the next like, one. Yeah, they're like, hey, oh, you really like Sonic Colors? What if, instead of that, Sonic just auto-ran? What if all you did... Was hit start to pause the game because you wanted to get up. What if it was a movie? Like that's the sort of like, what are you doing, Sega? They've never done that, obviously. Yeah, but I mean, that's the, the severity. Sometimes I mean, the closest the thing they did is like they went from like Sonic and the Secret Rings to Sonic and the Black Knight, and then they went to Sonic Colors, and yep. we got Sonic Lost World, which was way different. And that one, like, it seemed like all right, this one has a lot of potential, just like flesh it out. But nope, now we're back to Sonic Generation. Lost World, kind of, Lost World was like, then least, going. Least, that Galaxy game looks pretty cool. What if we uh, yeah, sonified it? At least it seems like the boost mode mechanic gameplay is the one that they, they for the most part, have like in the majority of their Sonic games. Yeah. And the one they've definitely been refining the most. Like, I definitely like the boost mode gameplay. And I guess they... The only part that always kind of, I don't know, rubs me the wrong way a little bit is that when you had Sonic Colors and Sonic Unleashed, you had the boost gameplay, but then you also have sections that would go 2D. So you kind of have both, but... The physics of modern Sonic were always way different from classic Sonic, so well, I think pla- that's why they. So the platform sections felt weird. So I had my mind I was just like, all right, then just make it all boost gameplay. Like, don't yeah. even try to give us two D parts in the in the modern Sonic. Just leave that for classic Sonic. Yeah, I, but they I still do. I suspect they're not gonna do it with this one. No, they, they, they. Well, no, but oh, do they show yeah, it in yeah, the trailer? Oh, great. Yeah, because I gotta say, like, um, the fact that they are specifying that the custom characters in the 2D and 3D gameplay makes you think, oh, they're finally splaying them 100%. I guess not. (laughs) But still, like, if this is the biggest hook, I'm in. Like, if there's no weird, you know, 
It's not like Sonic's boogie boring in this game, then I'm good. Um, I will say, I think for Sega, this is a really strategic move because it appeals to like everyone. For old school Sonic fans, you got that, like me, you got that pure Sonic experience because there's no other you have to play as, really. I mean, there's this custom hedgehog, but who cares? Uh, for diehard fans, it lets them do what they've wanted to do for years and have been doing on DeviantArt for years, which is make their own hedgehog. So you got that audience locked in. And for kids, how cool is it to make your own custom character that then runs alongside Sonic? Like, this is like, usually the decisions they make are like, oh, I can see why it appeals to this group or that group, but may not the next group. But this one hits all three marks. Yeah, this kind There's of character no custom edition is actually really cool. I mean, especially yeah. like for a kid growing up with games, like, there's nothing cooler than just seeing, I guess, your character. Yeah. So it appeals to them level. instantly, more than most Sonic games would. It almost kind of has like a, obviously not nowhere near the extent of Minecraft. Don't get it wrong, but it has kind of like that sort of like, oh, kids like creating their own thing vibe. Yeah, let's some, because it has so many combinations. And then, again, for purists, it's just Sonic with this guy. You can make your Sonic custom character just look like a third Sonic, and you're fine. Like, you don't have to really put much yeah, effort Yeah, it's hard to make him literally Sonic, but orange. Right. Is it going to be Angel the Hedgehog? No. Are you going to make fan art and fan fiction about it? No, he's just going to... Are Angel and Amy going to hook up? No, his name no? is it's name is just going to be Orange Sonic. Oh. Creative. Isn't that just what some people call Tails because they don't know better? Maybe. I mean, it's kind of like... Hey, that I I really like. Oh, no, no, uh, I no, really no. like that. I really like playing as Metroid in Smash Bros. No, I know what you mean. No, yeah, yeah it's like Girl Lucina. I mean, Girl Mars. Yeah, exactly. And Ranger Mars and but Buff Mars. Yeah, I'm. But the, the, that aside, <laughs> just naming it Orange Song aside. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. Weirdly, I'm gonna be keeping an eye on it. I want. I'm curious if they have it playable at E3. I'm sure they will. So hopefully, stay tuned for impressions next episode. If it's good at E3, then I'm for sure in on Switch when it comes out during the holidays. But Or not next episode, sorry, two episodes. E3 is a little ways away. But uh, if not, yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on this for sure. So, are you? Do you think you're actually going to pull the trigger on it? Because you, you, you sort of buy Sonic's, I might say sporadically, but you, you're a little picky and cheesy, but you get a lot more than I do. No, I mean, well, I mean, we just get the games between me and Elvis. Oh, that's, that's why I'm so picky cheesy, because he gets half of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just get, we fight in every Sonic game. We, are you game Mania? It just depends on which who gets it. Are you getting Mania this summer? No, because Elvis is already getting both. Well, okay. For so PS4. Well, you have Mania in this room we're in at well, some yeah, point. Yeah, for PS4, that's why. Yeah. Ah. It comes out August 15th, by the way. That got leaked the other day. Speaking of leaks, like Marin Rabbit, yeah. that got leaked. Because, I mean, especially for Sonic 4, there any game that's multi-platform, with some exceptions, like, it just seems like, why not just get it for the PS4? It's yeah. going to look a lot better. But, yeah. But you can't take it on the go. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you want to with that game necessarily, but every game's better on the go. Yeah, that's true. FIFA on the go. It's getting its own special name. EA's giving it. It's not FIFA 18 for Nintendo Switch. It's FIFA for Nintendo Switch. It's its own unique beast, which means it's not going to be as good, probably. But anyway, everything's better on the go. Apparently, uh, I know one game you're for sure getting though. I doubt it. I am 100 percent positive. And the announcement sort of popped up out of nowhere. Monster Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Monster Hunter Double Cross. It's really happening. It's coming to Switch in August, but it's coming. In Japan. Japan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so for those, this really... Well, it's going to go for the U.S. because it is region-free. That's true, but it's in Japanese, so good luck. But, but we... You don't really need to read that much in Monster Hunter. Oh, it's true. You're just kind of hunting. Yeah. What about, like, inventory it, and items? I guess it, they're it, visual. Yeah, the, 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 every single item has an image you, and a little power number. You could pretty well, much figure everything out. But, yeah, it. everyone predicted Monster Hunter would come to Switch at some point. We've been saying here on the show... 
for a while. Well, I thought it would come out at launch, so I was a little off. But we've been saying that they're just going to copy-paste over Double Cross from the 3DS, and sure enough, they did. But I don't think anyone really expect it to happen now, specifically. It's kind of a weird time. But what they've confirmed is it is an enhanced Switch version. It's officially given the very awkward name of Monster Hunter Double Cross Nintendo Switch Ver. Dot. Short like, for version, I know, but it, you just have... Just like Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate Wii U version or whatever. Yeah, but why don't they just call it Monster Hunter Double Cross Switch? Like, why Nintendo Switch Ver dot? But anyway, uh, it, it's going to get a graphical bump, of course. It's going to be able to run in 1080p, which is kind of nice. Um, has the ability to transfer your game save from the 3DS to the Switch. And it'll have cross-play with the 3DS versions. So just because you have a Switch and your buddy has 3DS doesn't mean you can't hunt together, which yeah. is a hugely smart move for them to do. Yeah, just like the the first one. That's what got all of us into it, because would, he would play on the 3DS and I would play on the Wii U. Right. But that one, that one they they launched simultaneously. This is yeah. retroactive almost. But it, it presumably there's gonna be some in-game additions too. But Capcom's not saying just yet. They just put out like a minute-long trailer about it. So, I mean, as our bona fide Monster Hunter fan on the show, what do you need them to add anything? Is it good enough? As it's just the concept of being able to be like, oh hey, I can play it on my TV, pick it up, go outside, and keep playing it enough, or like. Because you don't, they haven't released Double Cross in the states, right? Like no. this, this is like the second best of they've done. Generations being the first, which did come out in the states. Yeah. So it's just a best of all you that you can take anywhere, all you need. Or do you feel like if you bought Double Cross on 3ds, you and I mean, are you hesitant to get if I bought Generations? Will I get Double? Cross? No, if you bought. No, I'm saying like if you're if you're let's say you're Japanese because oh. I don't know what they added. I don't know like the scope of it. But let's say you're Japanese and you bought Double Cross, right? And you played it. And then they say, hey, here's the same game, better graphics, you can cross-play online, and uh, we're going to sell it to you for 60 bucks." If I had a Switch, I would just get the Switch version, transfer my data over, and just completely abandon the 3DS one. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I was asking. So it's enough on its own, just the boost, the graphical yeah, boost. Yeah, because I personally prefer to play Monster Hunter games on the console, like, hands down. Yeah. The only reason, I mean, I don't have a choice. I have to deal with it. I have to play it portable because it was only available for 3DS. But given the option, I would always choose the console one. Right. And now you kind of have both. Nintendo has figured out a way to satisfy Capcom's need to make it a portable game and also let the people play it at home if they choose to. Yeah. It's perfect. The, the, it's the literally main... the best case scenario. <laughs> but tell me how you really feel. No, it, uh, yeah, the reason I asked it because, like, we had all those conversations back and forth about, like, is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe enough new to make it worthwhile? But meanwhile, I guess it depends on the type of game because Monster, Monster Hunter seems like a no-brainer even though as of right now it's copy-pasted the I'm exact I'm pretty sure same. there's nothing new. Yeah. yeah, at least not yet. They might announce some. Maybe the DLC is baked in. The even the, already came even out. the 3DS one didn't have... I mean, even the Monster Hunter 3, like there was no different... But that thing came that, out simultaneously. No, I know, but even so... That's so, a different... Well, I mean, it's like... I mean, Smash Brothers and Smash Brothers. I mean, they didn't come out simultaneous, but... But they had different things. Yeah, but... So far, you're... Yeah. Well... <laughs> No, I know what you're trying to say, but I think I think you're. I don't know why you're expecting there to be because uh, you gotta do something for the people that we don't have to. But normally, when you make a second version, you do something for the people that bought the first. So I'm just kind of not that they came out this close to each other. I mean, Mario Kart 8 and Mario Kart Deluxe had like a couple years between them. Yeah. I mean, actually, I argue coming out closer together. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, all these other games that we mentioned like were kind of close together. I bet you they'll put all the DLC that's already come out in the 3DS one baked into the Wii U. Or, I mean, the Switch one. Oh. That's my guess. Maybe. That's maybe, maybe nice. enough. But it is worth knowing, though, that um, but regardless of the content, what were you going to say? No, I said, well, I, I don't know. The Monster Hunter games have get a ton of DLC, and some of it might be 
like Japan exclusive just because of like the relevance to it. Yeah. So sure. I don't know like if they would bake it in if like oh we're gonna have to unbake it or just like leave it in there for the U.S. Oh if yeah. They are gonna and they have to the get US. the rights to all that because it's like anime characters and stuff, right? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind that idea. But um, it is worth. What I was starting to say is it's kind of worth knowing that Capcom is again working very closely with Nintendo on this. They're launching it on August twenty fifth, and alongside the game, which by the way is one month after. Well, first actually. So, August 25th is not just a coincidence. Like, it's not just, like, Axel. It is exactly a month after Splatoon 2. It is in tandem with Mario and Rabbids release, which is obviously a bigger deal here in the West, while Monster Power is a bigger deal in Japan. It's almost as if Nintendo is very strategically keeping their one-game-per-month strategy going, but they're passing the buck to third parties for one month. They're like, hey, we have X number of games this year. August, Late August, early September is empty. What if... We give a Mario game in the West that Ubisoft can make. We give Monster Hunter, which is a, no pun intended, monstrous franchise in Japan. It's time to shine. And then it's, again, the one game a month continues as if nothing happened. It's it's kind of smart. Um, but in the case of Monster Hunter, it's not just a high-profile release. It's, like, the highest of profiles. Because it's getting its own Switch hardware bundle with a custom Switch design, both on the dock and on the tablet. They're going to do some flourishes. Which is the first time that's happened with Switch. And also seems to be, if I'm not mistaken, one of only very few times it's happened with Nintendo hardware that's not a handheld, right? I think Zelda had one for Wii U. And that was it. Did the Wii U console itself have anything on it? I think uh, only the no, it was game, only the GamePad. Yeah, it was only the GamePad. Yes, this is the first time Nintendo's really done this with... Or, well, not the first time. GameCube had a couple. But this is one of the very few times. Like, they did Resident Evil 4. GameCube back in the day, but this is one of the very few times they've done this, which makes me think, in some ways, they are treating it more like a handheld, and they're expecting people to just keep getting different switches over the years or whatever, which they've alluded to. Like, in their financial briefings, they've outright said, we will iterate on it, but still, kind of kind of interesting to see them actually pull the trigger on that. And it's not just high enough profile of a release for the hardware, it's a high, high enough profile of a release, or high profile enough uh, for them to get a huge stock boost off just this. Nintendo's stock rose 5.48% in a single day, the day that Monster Hunter was announced for Switch. There goes your stylus. The day that Monster Hunter was announced for Switch. 5.48% means that Nintendo made $2.2 billion in market cap in one day off Capcom saying, oh hey, we're porting over this three-month-old Monster Hunter to your new system. $2.2 billion. That's a lot of money. It makes, it has helped Nintendo's stock reach the highest point it's been in eight years. Now, obviously, they're running high off a whole bunch of stuff. The Switch success, their mobile games, uh, Monster Hunter now. But Monster Hunter is what pushed it to this new record high. That's the highest it's been since the Wii and DS days. Just give some perspective. I mean, it does make a a certain amount of sense because, like, Monster Hunter is huge in Japan and putting Double Cross on Switch isn't just sort of like, oh, yeah, we're just throwing it a bone. It's Capcom basically bridging the 3DS to the Switch and saying, hey, Monster Hunter fans, the franchise is going over here. You need to go with it. I think that's why the save transfer feature is there. It's like, hey, if you want to play Monster Hunter on the thing that's going to be playing Monster Hunter, you need to be on the Switch, not on the 3DS. Can't wait for them to make a proper sequel that's yeah. built for the ground up for the Switch. Yeah. and that I will su- look amazing. I suspect. Yeah, because this one, like, you could tell it's an up 3DS game. It looks nice. Yeah. It looks very nice. But it definitely, like, it's like, oh, it's the same geometry and everything, just better textures. Yeah. But, like Twilight Princess. Yes, exactly. That, that's a good comparison. Yeah, it's literally Twilight Princess. But, um, yeah. 
it's gonna be a, it's gonna be insane when they make a new one. And I think it wasn't so much Double Cross, but just the idea that this franchise is now a Switch franchise that really got investors excited, and it's for sure gonna guarantee huge, huge sales for Nintendo going forward. Although it's not like they really need them at this particular moment, at least because oh, like do. you think because they can't even keep the thing in stores. Like Switch is impossible to find anywhere, and that's not changing anytime soon, apparently. So. Did you know? I don't know if you heard about this. Nintendo put their Switches on sale on their Japanese online store, like the My Nintendo store, and they sold out in six minutes. Six oh, minutes. Really? Six minutes. That thing? Yeah. Yeah, that, that old thing. That that old Switch, yeah. And not only that, but like the president of uh, Enterbrain, who runs all Japan's biggest uh, gaming publications, like Famitsu and whatnot, um, He's claiming, and this guy knows his stuff because they also do chart tracking and other stuff. He's claiming Switch shortages are probably going to last all year, at least. So th- this is not going away anytime soon, these these sales. But Monster Hunter just guarantees it'll keep going even longer. And and to be clear, all these strong sales are with Switch currently outpacing the Wii. Here in the U.S., um, GameStop was saying the other day that Switch sales in their store, Switch hardware sales, are 10% higher in the first two months than what the Wii sold in its first two months, which was during the holidays in 2006. They have sold 1.2 million Switches versus 1.1 million Wiis. Switches outpacing, in a non-holiday period, the most successful Nintendo so system So you're saying ever. that it's going to be impossible to get in the holidays? I don't know what it's going to be, but it's nuts. Like It's so nuts that Target, in their financial report, was like, oh yeah, the Switch has leapt forward our electronic department and best buy is literally attributing the switch for a surprise boost in their sales they were going in out of this quarter expecting to be down in sales they are now up 1.6 percent in large part because of the switch like whatever's happening it's gonna yes i think it's gonna keep happening for the rest of the year but it, it's all so reminiscent of like the peak Wii days like it's weird that i mean the pendulum obviously swings back and forth with everything but it's weird, especially in the game world. Like, PS3 wasn't so hot, but PS4 is hot. The Wii was hot, but the Wii U wasn't so hot. But I didn't think the Switch would swing Nintendo this far back in the positive direction that it already has. It's kind of nuts. Like, I, you know what I think really made it sink in, actually? Now that I'm thinking about it. I think where it really sunk in for me was when I started seeing the Switch get name-dropped in pop culture all over the place. Like... It's starting to happen everywhere. You got John Mayer tweeting about it. Who's John Mayer? Singer, very famous singer. He's he's tweet he tweeted something along the lines of like, "Oh, it's the best thing for touring musicians since Wi-Fi." Then you got the weekend, the singer, the weekend, Instagramming pictures of playing Mario Kart 8 on tour, like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe specifically. Then you got the Atlanta the Atlanta Braves reportedly. Um, what what was it? Oh, rain. That's what it was. They were all playing together for like a rain delay. Or like they had a rain delay, so they all went and played Mario Kart inside while they waited for it to end. Then they went back and finished their game. Then you got the rapper Travis Scott just casually tweeting like, "I need a Nintendo Switch!" Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! The other day, yeah, you didn't hear that about the Wii U. Nope. Then you got I'm not done. They got Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park. This goes back to March, but he did a poll with with uh, people with people that follow him on Instagram, just like, "Hey, should I get a Switch?" And they got a Switch, and it was like talking about how great it was on his account. They got Jimmy Fallon in the New York Times the other week. Ugh, he opens Fallon. his briefcase. They're asking him what's in his briefcase, and they take a photo. All in his briefcase is a Switch. Well, there's a couple things, but it's a Nintendo Switch, 1-2 Switch, Mario Kart. Just sing his briefcase. He says he takes it everywhere. And anecdotally, people have been saying online, yeah, they go to tapings, and he pulls out the Switch when they're in between doing things, like during rehearsal and whatnot. Then you've got... I'm not even done yet. Then you've got perhaps the biggest sign that's like, a major thing in like the cultural zeitgeist so to speak 
SNL making Switch jokes during Weekend Update. That happened a couple times with the Wii, but when you hit that level, when it's like big enough that... So who was that joke for? Which? The Switch joke? The Caitlyn joke? Well, yeah. I mean, who was it for? What was it about? Yeah. So... Okay, I guess because obviously I don't even. Yeah, so so um, they have a character on Weekend Update just to fill in people listening. So they have some context called Drunk Uncle, is played by Bobby Moynihan, who just left the show. And the premise of Drunk Uncle was he is drunk and kind of misunderstands everything going on pop culturally and politically around him. So he like mixes up things because he's drunk. So he was talking about Caitlyn Jenner, who got a gender reassignment or switched genders, and then the joke was something along the lines of he was mixing up switching with Nintendo Switch. So the, 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 the premise of the joke, take your leave as being funny or not, is just that this guy keeps mashing up incorrect things together in a drunken way, and that's supposedly the whole appeal of it. So the joke was something along the lines of like, so what if Caitlyn's a Nintendo Switch or something like that? As he was making a point, like, I don't care what you're saying. I'm interested in this or that. Yeah, I remember him going yeah. to people have to stop calling the Nintendo oh, that's Switch what, yeah, yeah. or something. Like stop that. calling Caitlyn a Nintendo Switch, I think is what it was, or something along those lines. But yeah, that's kind of the premise of it, and that's what that's about. So it was a Caitlyn Jenner reference. And a Nintendo Switch reference. But the fact that they're at the point where they can throw in Nintendo Switch like that. The Wii only got that a couple times on SNL. The fact that Switch has it three months in is pretty pretty good. So all this is to say, this was a very long-winded way of saying, Switch is doing quite well. And with that, I'm going to gently glide us into a bit, a brief Jason Sales Corner to tell you how well the Switch is doing. Oh, goody. Yeah, see how I eased us in? It's like flying into your DMs except no sexual anything anyway so jason sales score uh mpd numbers came out for april number one selling console of the month the switch two hundred eighty thousand units which i imagine would be significantly higher if they actually had supply behind it uh number two which did we don't we don't know the numbers but the number two selling console of april so above ps4 above xbox one the nes classic edition so nintendo one two punch of switch and nes classic back to back on the software side Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was the top seller of the month, 460,000 units, uh, physical units, which means if you tie that with all other Mario Kart physical sales ever, Mario Kart is officially America's best-selling racing game franchise, period, to date. Better than Need for Speed, better than any of the old NASCAR games, is the number one selling racing game. So congrats, Nintendo, I guess. And that's and that's just physical. If you factor in digital copies, Mario Kart, in just the two days that it was charted, is, over, is already at 550,000 copies sold. And as of end of April for Deluxe. Um, and presumably it's going to keep growing from there. So Persona 5 on PS4 is number 2 for the month of April. But right under it, we're back at Nintendo with Breath of the Wild in the number 3 spot. So it's still doing well. Uh, and while those are the only two Switch games in the top 20, MPD put out guidance that made note that uh, if you look at the Switch-specific top 10, 7 out of 10 games for Switch are by not Nintendo. They're by third parties. And to be fair... That's because Nintendo's only put out three physical games so far. But nonetheless, LEGO City Undercover, third best-selling Switch game of April. Um, it was ahead of 1-2-Switch at number four. Poyo Poyo Tetris came in number five, right behind 1-2-Switch. And Super Bomberman R, second month out, usually saw games just fall off a cliff, but still number six, outselling other new releases from uh, April and other games from March still. So third parties are doing okay. Like, I guess that that's literally the Jason Sells Corner. That's all there was. There's no 3DS numbers. We know nothing. All we know is Mario uh, Sports, Mega Mix, Super Mix, whatever, that 3DS one is number one game on 3DS because it was new, so of course it was, and it's Mario, so of course it was. But um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the third-party stuff, I think if third parties are able to maintain traction like what we're seeing on the charts now with Switch users going forward, 
we're going to get a really healthy library for the Switch because beyond just the Sonic Forces and the Mario Hunter double crosses of the world, it seems like we're already starting to see third parties come around to Switch. Like last episode, we were talking about how there's probably going to be a lot of third party announcements at E3. And sure enough, as we roll into E3, it's still a few weeks away, but the announcements are starting and they're there. I mean, some reports, you got Bandai Namco saying there's a deluxe version of One Piece uh, Unlimited World Red. Which is like okay, I guess <laughs> why not? Some are multi-platform releases that were bound to happen. Like I don't think anyone doubted Lego Marvel Super Heroes Two from WB Games would actually be coming to Switch. Like all the Lego games do well on Nintendo, but they still matter because they perpetuate this momentum cycle that's happening between the like positive buzz and the sales and the whatnot. In that, the more people buy the system, the bigger the audience for the games. The more games, the more people buy the system, and just rinse repeat over and over and over. But along with just this boring stuff, we also got some kind of interesting announcements um, from smaller companies from indies. Like, there's word that Owlboy is now coming to Switch, which is a pretty well-received uh, indie game. Azure Striker Gunvolt 1 and 2 are going to be bundled together into a deluxe package with all the DLC included mm, for Switch. Let me pick that up. There's I didn't get any. I've only played the first. Or I only own the first. I've played the second at um, that indie game showcase at E3. But Why didn't you get the second? I don't know because I think – I don't know, actually, but the first is really fun. Why didn't you get the second? You know, I'm is not sure. Is it because sure. you don't care about your 3DS anymore? Well, that might be part of it. Oh, too sure. <laughs> I'm just going to let that silence linger for a while. But yeah, so they're coming out with that, and they also announced, uh, into, in, in, NT Creates also announced that uh, they're making a separate Switch-exclusive sequel to Mighty Gunvolt. Which was the only good thing that came out of Mighty Number no. Nine, and that was a mashup with Gunvolt. And it's called Mighty Gunvolt, and they're making a second one for Switch. I don't really know why, because Mighty Number no. Nine is kind of a dead thing. But hey, new Switch game, why not? And I mean, th- that's just some of the stuff they announced. But there were two announcements from third parties that we haven't talked about yet. That personally, I'm kind of excited for. So well, I want to Is that why it got its own little heading here on the? Yeah, it is because I want to. I want to dive into Harvest it a bit. Moon. Yeah. So Harvest Moon, um, Light of Hope is the first one that caught my eye. And that's because what they're doing with it. Light so, of Hope will... Light of like Hope. the fate of the world on the balance or something? Nah, you just run a lighthouse. <laughs> and I'm literally thank like, you for listening. I'm, I'm, literally, I'm literally at a loss of words at how, like... <laughs> how I, overly I, dramatic wow. Light of Hope is to run a lighthouse. Yeah, you run oh. a lighthouse. And it, it's a hopeful one. I mean, the hope is that you don't crash the ships. So it's a light of hope to keep those so ships So on top of your farm, in. you have the lighthouse. lighthouse. I think instead of a farmhouse, you have a lighthouse. So your crops grow around the lighthouse. Now here's the thing I, don't, right. I, here's the thing I don't understand is like if you're building a lighthouse, well, when do you have time to do the farming because the lighthouse you're supposed to be guiding the ships in? Now I guess you just turn on the light and walk away. So maybe you do have plenty of time. Pretty much all you have to do. Yeah, I guess right? that's true. But then why, what do lighthouse keepers do during the day? What, where, how do they keep busy? The or are they farm. all crazy people? <laughs> But they don't have farms in real life. Only in this. Because this figured out what they should be doing? Ah, ah, so it's a lesson for all lighthouse keepers around the world. Like, okay. of course. Start my own farm. Grow my crops. Sell them in the farmer's market. Genius. Yeah. Now, the reason I'm excited for it, believe it or not, is not, is not because it's a lighthouse. It's also not because it's... Um... Well, lost my chance of thought. But the reason I'm excited for it is... Uh, it's going back to the series roots. It is Super Nintendo style. And I don't know how closely anyone's been following the Harvest Moon world. Not at all. But there's been drama in the Harvest Moon world I, these last couple of years. I know about the... Yes, that's yeah, what I mentioned. So for those who don't... Uh, Harvest Moon isn't really the real Harvest one. Harvest Moon it's is actually... an imposter. 
basically what happened is the Western publishing rights of Harvest Moon three or four years ago switched from Natsume, the owner of Harvest Moon as a copyright, to Exceed. And what that means is every time you see a story of seasons, that's actually the next Harvest Moon. And anytime you see Harvest Moon, that's actually not Harvest Moon. So basically what happened is they, Marvelous Inc., who's been making Harvest Moon for 20 years now, had some sort of dispute with Natsume. Or is it Natsume? I don't know which the name is, but either way. The end company that's not Nintendo had some sort of dispute with them. And for one reason or another, they went to exceed with their game. So Harvest Moon from Natsume the last couple of years is not actually any real Harvest Moon. And season, Story of Seasons is your Harvest Moon, but then when they rebranded it, they kind of took it in a slightly different direction and started adding stuff. And that's kind of the problem in my book with both of these games now is that they're all they're each going in a different direction a very like uh modernized in the sense that there's a almost like they keep piling things on it don't need to be there it's like feature creep almost so like i loved harvest moon 64 as a kid i played harvest moon 64 a ton like a ton like really i'll, I'll show you the save file sometime why? It, I, I mean, why it's a good game why i liked it what's the appeal you farm but not in a lighthouse See, that's the appeal of this one. you got a lighthouse now. No, but uh, I don't know. It's just really fun. What's the appeal of anything you play? To have fun. It's to have fun. Anyway, so so I really liked Harvest Moon 64. But what they, what's been happening with both Pseudo Harvest Moon and Story Seasons is um, this kind of feature creep where they keep adding new stuff. Which on one hand is fine. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, if I just want a pure Harvest Moon. So that brings us to Light of Hope. Which... Is your Sume, light of hope? Yeah, is my light of hope that they're going to do this right because they seem to be taking notes from Stardew Valley in a way and are going back to the Super Nintendo basic so it's style. Be multiplayer? Well, not in that regard. I mean, in terms of like, oh, hey, we can make an old school Harvest Moon and have it do well. Because Star- Stardew Valley is basically, it's more than a Harvest Moon, but they kind of proved that you can do the old school Harvest Moon thing and it will work. So they kind of took that and now they're running with it with an old school Harvest Moon. And the only thing that's fresh or new about it, the only thing that could be a feature creep issue is that you now have a lighthouse instead of a farm. And that's it. So Story of Seasons has very happily carved out its own little future of moving forward in a certain direction. That's great. That's where Harvest Moon as a game is going. And Harvest Moon as a name is now kind of moving back. And that's why it's interesting to me. So I'm going to try and check it out each three and give impressions on the show. Um, but nothing else. It's one to keep an eye on if you like old school Harvest Moon because it actually goes back to that. The question is, will Natsume get a good enough developer and all that? to pull it off but in theory this addresses what i've had problems with with recent harvest moons and stories of seasons so yeah but no i was big on harvest moon at one point like i had harvest moon on game boy color which was hardcore that was hardcore harvesting yeah the game boy color one is also really good uh harvest moon gbc you can tell the people at natsume are not the best at naming things but harvest moon gbc was game boy color one harvest moon 64 64 one both were great did you, so I'm getting the impression you've never actually played Harvest Moon. Nope. So I'm going to throw my thing back at you. Why? Or what you said to me. Why? Why? Um, I feel like there were really the other games that just caught my attention a lot more immediately than... Then, then Farming? Then Farming Simulator. Now keep in mind, I did grow up in Montana, so like... Well, farming. That kind of explains everything. Yeah. You'd think I'd be into Farm Simulator now, but no. I mean, it wasn't even a game that I had friends that were like, oh, you should play this game. It's pretty cool. Like, no one I knew played that. You know what? You know why I got into it now that I think about it? Nintendo Power. 
Nintendo Power was actually a lot, a huge source of a lot of things for me in terms of games that I ended up discovering or realizing are really cool because Nintendo Power would have write-ups about Harvest Moon and it being really good or like Gex 64 or like Tetrisphere. And so I got to experience a lot of these more niche or weird or one-off games thanks to Nintendo Power sort of shining a light on them. So, because I, I mean, I had friends that were gamers, but, you know, it, there's only so many recommendations you get from people but so nintendo power is a huge source for that which i think why i like harvest moon and some of the other stuff i like to this day to this day actually so paper mario actually is a good example of that my friend rented paper mario specifically based off of nintendo power review i got super into it and then two of us basically tag teamed through the whole game at his house over a weekend but anyway that's game number one that i wanted to draw attention to because i think it's the right move for harvest moon and the right move for america and the right move for lighthouse operators anywhere because it'll show them that there's more you can do than pull a little string to turn on your lighthouse light. Mm. The other game I wanted to mention um, caught my eye uh, simply because of the timing of it, and that is Nine Parchments from Frozen Bite. So Frozen Bite is the team behind Trine. Trine is a series, if I recall correctly, that you actually enjoyed on Wii U, right? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, so this new game, also for those Both who... Trine and Trine 2. That's... You mean... Trying and trying to, two. Trying and also trying to. Trying and trying also. Trying and this joke's going nowhere. Uh, they also made Has Been Heroes for Switch. Just throwing that out there. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the real reason I bring up this new game of theirs is called Nine Parchments, and it is essentially Gauntlet. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because last episode we were rallying off what would make good multiplayer games on Switch from third parties, and I think we both write Gauntlet would be great. And then literally three days later. Frozen Bite's like, well, it's not Gauntlet in name, but here's Gauntlet for Switch. And I was like, no way. Like, we were just talking about this. So now, to be clear, Nine Parchments is not a new game. It's been on Steam for a while. They just announced it for Switch after we talked about Gauntlet. We obviously have nothing to do with that. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, we're, we're involved or we have like, premonitions. It's just a funny coincidence. But it's still pretty cool because it looks like literally the next best thing. Like, if you play Gauntlet Legends on GameCube, which is great, by the way, for co-op, this is that, but on Switch. At least it seems to be. Like, there's four-player co-op, both local and online. There's upgradable characters. It looks kind of fast-paced. It has the RPG elements. It looks fun. There's really not much else to say about it. It's set in the Trine universe. It looks cool. It'll be out sometime this year. But I felt the urge to share it because we literally were talking about Gauntlet coming to Switch last episode, and then someone somewhere heard us and was like, you got it, and then gave us this. It's kind of like Wargroove. Like, we really want new Advance mm-hmm. Wars, or I really want new Advance Wars. It's not going to happen, but here comes Wargroove, an indie equivalent to Advance Wars. That fills the need. Nine Parchments is my gauntlet fix. So, yeah. And every Switch has your card. Where is Pocket Fighter? So, speaking that's a of question. Speaking, speaking of, of indie speak, games. Speaking I mean, this is supposed to hold me over till Street Fighter, but now we have Street Fighter. Well, now you can have Street Fighter hold you over till Pocket Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. No, through? so Pocket Fighter, from my understanding, the developers were saying that they hit a snag with development or miscommunicated development and when they were saying march they weren't actually ready for march so now they're promising end of q2 and nintendo europe's been doing a lot of promotion for them they've been doing interviews they've been doing articles on their website so i think they're actually gonna hit q2 which means before the end of june so it can hold you over until you decide to not buy arms Hmm. and then hold you over potentially two more weeks after that or wait well the period where it could start holding you over is around there yeah so there's your pocket fighter update Thank you. You're very welcome. And that is pretty much what's new with Switch. So to shift gears a bit, see what I didn't do there? 
see, see, I could have said switch, but I said shift. To shift gears a bit, there is one other interesting thing in the Nintendo world worth mentioning, and that is on the mobile front. Funny enough, it happened the same day our last podcast went up, like literally within 12 hours of us going live, and that was word of a Legend of Zelda smartphone game being in development. Word of this comes from uh, Wall Street Journal, whose sources say the game will arrive after Animal Crossing on smartphones, which is currently slated for the later half of 2017, which is also kind of news. So, in other words, it sounds like they're kind of timing Zelda for smartphones in the same period, roughly, as they did Mario Run's release last year. I know they're still very site-spaced out, but for some reason it feels like we're getting a lot of Nintendo games on smartphone lately. You know what's funny is, like, well, first of all, these dates can shift I think because around, maybe so Magikarp, knows, felt like, it kind of came out of nowhere. It did come out of nowhere, but that's not even Nintendo. That's Pokemon. No, I, I know, but, I mean, I, I, I put them in the same bucket. I don't care. <laughs> wow, what a rebel. <laughs> so, but, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's weird because I had the opposite reaction. When they said Zelda end of the year and Animal Crossing second half of the year, I'm like, that's a long time since the last Nintendo smartphone game. Like, well, no, Fire Emblem just came out two months ago, three months ago. But, yeah, I guess I guess they are pretty cool. Then again, I only played one of them. I mean, I only really got into one of them and Mario. then I erased it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you did erase it. I think delete is... Erase sounds way more dramatic than just like, I deleted the I app. I terminated it. You, <laughs> you ripped its code apart. But, uh, yeah, so a year ago, like, I don't, I don't it's, it's weird because when I saw this Zelda news, I was kind of like, uh, uh, that makes sense. But if you asked me this a year ago, I would predict this was going to be a spinoff, an offshoot. I joked on Twitter it might be like an augmented reality tingle tuner, which obviously won't happen. But if you take a step back and look at what Nintendo's been doing with their mobile games, and the, never mind the frequency of them, the content of them, Mario Run, Fire Emblem Heroes, they're just simplified versions of their regular games like when nintendo's first saying they're gonna be like games that will work in tandem with the main core franchises i kind of thought that meant they'd be spin-offs so zelda it's like oh it's gonna be something different but still zelda in air quotes but no it's probably just gonna be a simplified zelda and i imagine animal crossing is gonna follow the same pattern but the thing with zelda is it already has a simplified version that's finger friendly and is gameplay made for touch and that was Fam Hourglass and Spirit Tracks on the DS. So logically, the app is probably something along the lines of of uh, Fam Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, in that you know you draw a path for Link and he follows it and you go through worlds. But and I think everyone kind of assumed that's what it's going to be. But where things kind of get potentially tricky with that, in my opinion, is the touch points, so to speak. So like Mario Run lets you touch anywhere on the lower third of the screen to make Mario jump. Right, that's all it is. Fire Emblem Heroes has huge big squares you drag your finger across to move characters. Like, it's not like you have to be very finite with your movement. Both Zeldas for DS are A, real-time, and B, freeform. So that means you not only are drawing very quickly wherever you want, not in set grids where it doesn't matter how precise you are like Fire Emblem, or in a set space like you tap in Mario Run, but it also means that you have to account for the fact that other things are happening under your finger that you can't see as you're drawing those lines. That's one of the original selling points of the DS having two screens was, well, when you're using the touchscreen, you're blocking your view, so we can have it happen on the top screen. Or if you're using the top screen, we can have something happen on the touchscreen. Or you have a stylus, which makes it a really finite point, and you're not really blocking much of anything because the stylus is long enough to keep your hand off the screen. If they were to just port Fan Hourglass or Spirit Track to iPhone, they lose that. Assuming they go the DS game route. Well, I don't think they're full-on porting it, but they report the concept they're gonna lose that so i don't know even though everyone myself includes like oh obviously spirit tracks obviously fan Glass, i don't know if they're actually gonna do that it might be something kind of different which might be for the better i'm not sure but like i when you did you have any reaction when you saw it because i feel like some people were like oh sweet and some people were like uh and the general consensus is like a shrug 
Like, I feel like I shrugged when I saw it more than anything else. I don't know. I immediately thought, like, I have no idea what they're going to do. So you, you didn't immediately jump to, like, the DS idea that no, I feel like I, the I feel entire like, internet jumped to, myself included? No, I feel like that's, I feel like they wouldn't do that. Well, yeah, I mean, the reason I just outlined is a pretty good selling point for not doing that, because it makes it... Actually, My first thought, I mean, yeah, I, I just feel like that's, like, too complicated for something that they would want to do with um, smartphone games. Yeah. Kind of like, like you said, like, they're all been simplistic versions well, I mean, of like, their... I mean, like, Fire Emblem game. has some meat to it. Not a lot, but Fire Emblem Heroes, like, well, you're that's doing... Because, yeah, but, turn-based. Yep, yeah, but Fire Emblem yeah. was already more suited for a phone game than what we know of Zelda to That's be. That's very true. That's very true. Like, I don't know what they could do. Like, I honestly don't... Koroxid tracker that's yeah, pokemon go but exactly they, they would have to they're gonna have to create a new thing that's just within the zelda universe that's yeah. basically it i mean i don't know it could be good it could be bad another point of consideration with all this uh is the pricing because like nintendo's in a weird situation where they tried mario run as a free to start game and it underperformed for them like they gave you a little and then they said all right you want the rest 10 bucks they've also done free to play with Fire Emblem, where it's full-on gotcha mechanic, full-on uh, freemium monetization scheme, and that's making them a lot of money. But Zelda just feels more free feels to start. More feels more like you should pay up front, right? Mm. Like, it doesn't feel like a game where... Yeah. Unless they were to sell you dungeon by dungeon, in which case it's still free. It, it is free to start. Like, I can't see how they do a free-to-play for Zelda. Need more... Uh, seeds to <laughs> need more Deku seeds. That's ten cents per Ru- seed. Like Ru- I don't know how that would. Rupees are your main your in game currency, but like diamonds are the. Yeah, like I don't get how Zelda would make that really work. I'm really curious to see what they do. Like there doesn't seem like a clear cut solution for me. I'd rather just pay. I'd rather just say full premium. Like just say you know what, free to start with Mario was kind of people interpreted it as bait and switch, even though we were very clear about it. So we're not gonna do that. But freemium doesn't make sense. Let's just say ten dollars flat up front. You get Zelda. Zelda's probably the one franchise Nintendo has that they could pull that off. Because people know Zelda's like an epic experience. Da, da, da. So like you could charge up front and make it a fully premium paid game. But it it won't hit the same mass that it would if it was free. But free has so many pitfalls. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's just kind of like another thing to think about. It's like this is probably like when they announced Mario, it seemed like kind of like, oh yeah, just maybe it's an endless run. Where they announced Fire Emblem, it was a perfect fit. When they, you know, Pokemon Go makes sense. Like, oh yeah, AR with Pokemon. I can see how that would work. Zelda's the first one Nintendo's taught. Animal Crossing even. It's like, oh yeah, that can make sense on mobile. Yeah. But Zelda's the first one where it's just like, what? How's this? How? I mean, especially um, Happy Home Designer kind of showed us that they could just take a certain part of the game and just make it the whole thing. Oh yeah. I'm shocked Happy Home Designer has not come to iPhones yet. Like, that seems like they could have just done it. Like, I don't know. Whatever they're doing with Animal Crossing. Just cut out the... The really control heavy segment and just do the touch heavy segment. Yeah, good. yeah, it's perfect. And like the thing about uh, Animal Crossing is like, I don't know what's taking so long to make it. Like it shouldn't, unless it's tying into like Animal Crossing Switch has got some new look or something. Whenever Animal Crossing Switch gets announced, it just seems like they're putting a lot of effort into well, something well, that's clearly, fundamentally pretty easy to get on a phone. Someone will, like, you know, all those characters we have out the door, just redesign everything from the ground <laughs> from the ground imagine, up. Imagine if they make them a little too realistic. Oh, Heavy. Huh. I don't know. It's be a little creepy. But, you know, you mentioned that you consider Pokemon games to kind of be Nintendo games as well on smartphones. So here's some news for you. Buried in that Wall Street Journal story that no one really covered because everyone was freaking out about Zelda. Um, they're also bringing over a card-based Pokemon – or they're also working on a card-based Pokemon mobile game. The Pokemon company is. In other words – Isn't there already the Pokemon TCG on mobile? Yeah. 
There is, I think, which makes me think they're Hearthstoning Pokemon. Hmm. As a Hearthstone enthusiast, how does that make you feel to have to have a second game you might have to play soon? Because I feel like the Dark Sword did Hearthstone. It would either replace it or I would just continue playing Hearthstone and ignore this one. No, but you can only have one. Yeah, there isn't enough room for two. Right, because they they sort of tried already. That's a, that's. I mean, Yu Gi Oh had the potential to replace this one, but Hearthstone was, Hearthstone just knows what people want in a quick mobile game. Sure. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, maybe they're just revamping the Pokemon Train Car game. I, wait, is it on smartphone? No, it's on PC. It might not be on smartphone. In which case, obviously, it's that. Yeah, but then you have to wonder: is that going to cannibalize their own physical card game sales? And that's a whole other can of worms that they would be opening. But... Can of Wormadans. Hey, I'd see what you did. Uh, what now? What's a Wormadan? It's a fourth generation worm Pokemon. Oh. And I call myself a Nintendo fan? Well, anyway, uh, I was going to say that um, I lost a train of thought. That's what you were going to say? That you lost a train no, of thought? No, I lost a train of thought when, when we were talking about Wormadans. Oh, well. Yeah, I, I think um, the potential for us to be huge, though. The All right, game. so I guess the TCG isn't on mobile. All right, so there we go. That's what it's going to be. I hope it doesn't cannibalize their physical sales. Unless they do some sort of cool, like, you scan the yeah, cards. There's just Pokemon Go, Pokemon Jump, and Pokemon Duel. You need Pokemon Magikarp Jump. Magikarp Jump, Pokemon Go. Which will we talk about in a minute here? Because I have Duel, been playing Magikarp Camp Jump. Pokemon, Pokemon Shuffle, and Dracomon Battle and Catch Monsters Dragon RPG game. Well, that's not real. I mean, that's real, but it's not official. Yeah. That, that doesn't have a license. But yeah, so whatever Pokemon's cooking up, they have something coming later this year too. Oh, yeah, so Pokemon we have, TV. It's quite the amount of They Pokemon. have a fair amount, yeah. yeah. So we, we have Zelda, Animal Crossing, and a Pokemon card game to look forward to on smartphones they're coming up. But right now, we have Magikarp Jump. Separate from all this, Pokemon Company's just like, hey, what if we made a game about Magikarp? And someone else in Pokemon Company's like, that's a good idea. So here we are. And it was, it turns out, kind of a good idea. It's, um,. I don't really to back up. I don't really know what's going on with Pokemon Company. They have been weirdly obsessed with Magikarp this year. They put out a song about Magikarp. It was to prime the pump for this game, I guess. But the song is just about how pathetic he is. That's their words, not mine. Yeah, but then, we still love you. I know. And then they have this game where they literally call him Tragicarp at one point, which is again, there's a lot of great puns this out, so none of them are our titles. Unfortunately, we got Wispins and we got Tragicarp. But, yeah, they have all that happening. And the crazy thing is, if you download Magikarp Jump, there's a TV that sits above the pond where your Magikarp lives. And if you click that TV, it takes you to the Magikarp song. And then the Magikarp song takes you back to the game. So there's, like, this never-ending loop of just Magikarp. It's pathetic, but we love him anyway. Momentum going on within Pokemon Company. And I don't really know what's going on with that. But I guess it's nice he's getting some love. Song's a different story completely, though. What really matters here is Magikarp Jump. And I've been playing it since it came out Wednesday night, this past Wednesday. You have not even touched it, right? You were just like, no way. Yeah, it just didn't catch my attention. Yeah. And, and I read, um, I forgot his name. The Serebii guy. Serebii guy's impression. Because he was pretty much like, Joe something. Yeah, he was pretty Joe much live-tweeting his entire experience until like he completed the game. And yeah, it just seemed like, yeah, I don't have time for this right now. Here's the thing. I'm actually finding it to be quite enjoyable, in part because of how weird this whole thing is. Like, at its core... This is not a game based on 
your on your like your skill. There's no ga- deep gameplay experience. Exactly. This is kind exactly. of a fun little time. It kind of is like I don't need a time. Well, hold waster. on. It's kind of like a gamified version of a, a Tamagotchi, but your Tamagotchi is a magic carp, and then another magic carp, and then another magic carp, and then another magic carp. See, another. for me to want to like play a, I guess any game for that matter, there has to be a, a sense of permanent progression. There is because your magic carps get better. The better you, the more you do, the higher your magic carps get in skill, and, and the further you get in the magic carp league, all you really do is tap in different scenarios. But it does, there is a, la- a hierarchy as you go through the game. Mm-hmm. So, so just to just to fill people in, because I know you were keeping up with it, I'm pretty sure a lot of people this is the first they're hearing a magic carp jump because it didn't even get much coverage. So the premise of this game to kind of set the scene here, set the table, is you're in a town in the game where trainers don't battle their Pokemon. Instead, they like to catch their Magikarp and see how high they jump. That That's literally it. So I guess their lives are really boring. I don't know, but that's what they do. They have multiple leagues, I think four or six different leagues, in which you are competitively jumping against other Magikarps. And you'll need to acquire enough jump points for your individual carps to win one-on-one jumps against other carps. And you boost your jump points, or JP as the game stylishly calls them, in a number of ways. Uh, when you open the game, you're first presented with your pond, which is where your Magikarp lives and eats, and he's just swimming around. And food appears around him. If you tap the food, he'll swim to the food and eat it. Makes sense. You can also train your Magikarp by going into training and doing different mini games, such as a jump counter or literally a punching bag where he flails his face into it because he doesn't have arms. And if you tap when he's doing it, you can like tap quickly and it'll give him more JP for doing so. And then when you're ready, you go into battle. Now, the thing is you can also get items for your pond, and these will boost stats and clean your JP, your recovery times of how often you can train or how often you can have other things happen because, yes, it's free of play, which yes, there are recovery times. Um, you can also enlist the support of other Pokemon who will hang out pool like pond side and just sort of live there, and they'll give you stat boosts as well, also on timers. For example, there's a Pikachu. You get him very early in the game. He gives you a nice like 400-ish JP boost every time you poke him, but you can only poke him once every 90 minutes, I think, or two hours or something like that. So these Pokemon, by the way, also come and cheer on Magikarp. So when you're going to do your jump competition, you walk in. And by the way, the game's like so stylish and like ridiculous. Like it's all it's like big blocky cartoon characters. Like when you go into battle, your trainer, you, is like carrying this giant Magikarp in his arms and like plops him down. And there's like a Pikachu standing nearby who will cheer you on and give you like extra last second boosts and stats and stuff at random so it's kind of a little you know like game of chance in that regard but the timers and the free to play is kind of at the meat of all this because i reference you know it's every 90 minutes it's this is that and since it is a free to play game that means it has all the free to play hooks that you'd expect you have a max of three training points to beef up your magic carpet at one time and then you need to wait 30 minutes before you can do it again you can play league uh jump competitions a certain number of times before you have to stop as well but usually when you win it lets you keep going until eventually it's like no you've had enough or sometimes it's just like, <laughs> no 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 one time it's like your magic carp is tired it's time to retire and it just took my magic carp away wow yeah the game's kind of mean um but if you want to not have your magic carp take it away but not run into these timers you can quickly earn more chances to do training or to do league or to do whatever because, of course, you can spend in-game stuff. In this case, it's called in-game diamonds. And you reward them through achievement system like every free-to-play game has. You reward them by getting progress milestones. And you can, of course, just buy them with your money if you prefer. 
There's also a separate in-game coin currency, which you use to buy better food for your Magikarps that will then give them higher JP. And you can then separately with coins and diamonds, or I think diamonds in this case, buy support, new support Pokemon, new so items to decorate this, your pond. Knowing full well that you could potentially get this Magikarp killed or stolen at any point. But well, well, yes and no. Yes and no. So, yeah. Basically. Because yeah, you're doing all this. Everything I'm describing, like support Pokemon, decorating your pond, all those stat boosters, it's basically Mario Run's Kingdom Builder inside your pond. So you now I have your Magikarp. You also have this little Kingdom Builder thing. But yes, you could lose your Magikarp at any time. And that's kind of the game's progress system in that you have a Magikarp that can only go a certain level and earn a certain number of JP. And when you hit that level and hit those JP, he gets retired. Then you start anew with a new Magikarp that you raise to a certain level with a certain number of JP. But the trick with this is because you have the better food, because you have the better items in your pond, the better support Pokemon, all that, you very, very quickly make up the loss to get back to where you were with the other Magikarp. So the progress ladder is basically you train, you battle, you retire, you train, you battle, you retire. But each time you get a new Magikarp, he has a higher potential uh, max level because you as a trainer also level up for every Magikarp you successfully battle, which opens up the opportunity to get better Magikarp. Okay. So there is like a very strict hierarchy circle thing. Where things get a little haywire is um, this kind of random chance element. Which actually, in some regards, helps make this not sound so repetitive. Makes this not repetitive. Because it sounds incredibly repetitive right now, right? Just tap around, lose your Magikarp, tap around again, lose your Magikarp again. But there are two things they do. The random elements and also just this like sense of ownership i guess that help a lot so i'll do the second one first just because it's easier to explain or quicker to explain pokemon games are really good make you feel like your pokemon's your pet or like some like you have some sort of weird connection that's like a thing they've always had somehow this is managing to do it with just these magic carps i mean you for one you get to name them fine but they also have different patterns they come in like dozens of them and like different skin tone patterns and different colors are they and spindles sure what do they also come in different colors? Um, they're the only Pokemon in the Pokemon game that... Well, what they're, like, they're, they're like little pandas. And, uh, oh, those guys. Yeah, and, yeah. And they, and they have about. a unique pattern because yeah. there's like thousands of them. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah, so in this case, they do come in different patterns. Like I have like multiple variants of like a calico pattern. And they fill out your pattern decks, which is like your Pokedex, but just the Magikarp patterns. Oh, jeez. So, but you sort of have that like sense of ownership, right? Sense of like, oh, it's my pet because like you're feeding it and it looks unique. It has a unique name. And then when it's retired, it actually swims around in the background background of your pond. So you can, you know, you're training a different Magikarp at that point, but you can actually poke the other Magikarp and they'll kind of acknowledge that you've been poked and say its name and its max JP you reach with it. So it's like a little history just flowing behind. But anyway, the, the more interesting one that actually makes a difference are these random encounters or these random things. Uh, some are nice. Like, occasionally a Manaphy will just swim through your pond. If you touch it, you enter a food frenzy, and you just get a ton of food, which boosts JP really quick. But there's also, like, ones that happen during the league, such as... And they're literally called random encounters, where a trainer may stop you and be like, Hey, you looked really good fighting that Magikarp. A female tra- trainer actually hit on me because of my Magikarp. It was, it was great. And they basically give you free coins, um, which is nice. But... Other times it's not so good, and that's where things get weird, and that's where the random encounter system actually makes it kind of engaging because it's not just like, oh, cool, free stuff. Things can go awry, and they do. The game is weirdly morbid. There may be, for example, a shiny object in your pond, and if you press it, Magikarp will go eat it, and it'll be like, oh, that was a hook. He's dead now. <laughs> so it's like, what? But the one that really bothered me was I had a random event after a league battle where we walked past a tree full of berries, and it's like, hey, 
there's some berries in that tree. Do you want Magikarp to jump up and get them? And I'm like, sure. And it's like, are you sure you want Magikarp to jump up and get them? They're pretty high in the tree. I'm like, yes, whatever. So I press it again. And then a third time goes, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. So I send Magikarp to jump. Pidgeotto swoops in, takes him away completely. Like completely. And that's it. My Magikarp Carl was gone. He's not in my little swimming in the back of the pond as someone I successfully raised. He's not in my anything. There's no record of him. <laughs> He's just gone. Like the game's just like, well, you lost your Magikarp. And that makes you go fish a new one. It's sad. Because I lost Carl. I had to make a new Magikarp named Carl Jr. And now I'm stuck in a rut where unintentionally I now only can do fast food names for all my Magikarp. So I've already mapped it out. Right now I have a Jack. Then I'm again Arby. Then a Wendy. Then a Hardy. Then a Fatburger. And that's my... that's My, my Fatburger. I don't know because it's a name that's not really a name. But all the others are names. Jack, Ar- Arby, Wendy, Hardy, Fatburger. Why not Ruby? Oh yeah, Rub- Rubio as well. Go into the fast casual space. Chipotle. Panda. Okay, now, now I'm losing <laughs> a fish named Panda. But yeah, it all sounds really silly. This game sounds really dumb. But it, to be clear, it is really silly. But it kind of... It's not very dumb. Makes, <laughs> <laughs> no, it kind of makes for a really enjoyable experience in like two or three minute parts. Because like, the game knows what it is. It knows it's ridiculous. And it adds... The presentation kind of adds to it. You got like all these ridiculously cheesy water and fish puns and Magikarp puns like all the time. I mean, need I remind you, they say Tragicarp at one point. Um, you got really happy, overly happy music. You got this big, bold, colorful art style. And to bring things full circle, you have that always readily available link to that Magikarp music video. So like the game is not taking itself seriously. It's just this kind of fun little thing. And you can even have a leaderboard. If you connect to Facebook, you can see which of your friends has had their Magikarp jump higher. Only one person I know has uh, done that. So and it's not you, unfortunately. So I don't know how much to compare with. But I guess, to, okay, to sum it really, to sum it up, because I somehow managed to talk about Magikarp Jump longer than anyone should talk about a game involving f- jumping fish. But to sum it up, for me, Magikarp Jump has been like the perfect play, the perfect game to play for like a minute or two while I'm waiting for something to do or I'm just like a bit bored or I'm just sitting at my desk at work like, well, two minutes till me and I'll feed my Magikarp. Like it, it's not a deep experience. It's not a skill-based experience. It's like a fun little diversion that I could see myself playing maybe, I don't know, for a little while. I'm not going to be playing this a year from now, but for the next few weeks, sure. It's fun. It's kind of So like absurd. a good place Fire Emblem for you? Do you even play Fire Emblem anymore? I haven't played Fire Emblem Heroes. Wait, on 3DS or? On... You mean Fire. Heroes? No, I haven't played Fire Emblem Heroes in a while, actually. Fire Emblem Heroes, while casual, you do need to sit down and be like, I'm going to play this now because, like, you know, it's battles. Magikarp Jump, I can go feed my Magikarp for 10 seconds and then go back to what I was doing. It's literally a Tamagotchi. It's like a Tamagotchi crossed with one of those clicker games, but with a bit more plot and a bit more exposition. So, for me, that sells it. That's all I want. But if you're unsure, if you're listening, you know, it's free. Go check it out. I've yet to spend any money. It's pretty nice in terms of how much it gives you for free. So, you know, it's it's worth, it's probably worth checking out. On the polar opposite end of the game spectrum, the other game I've been playing, which we were going to talk about, um, is the episode's namesake, Fire Emblem Echoes Shadow of Valencia. And first off, i got to give Nintendo credit. They did a really nice job with that limited edition. Like, I was on the fence about buying it or not. I ended up getting it. And one, the art book is really nice. It's full size. It's hardcover. Really nice. And two, everything else in the box is laid out so well. So it all comes on this dark styrofoam that has carved into it little like designs from the game like sort of medieval looking designs carved into styrofoam everything's perfectly laid out the pins are nicely placed i was really impressed it's a noticeable step up from fates like fates had a decent enough box but like 
this is nice. And then the game box itself also has a reversible cover, so you can have the Japanese original box art. It's very well done, Nintendo. And I feel like that care and attention to detail extends to the in-game presentation with Echoes as well, because this is the first Fire Emblem that has full voice acting for basically all the dialogue. Beyond, um, you know, just the cutscenes, it's in all the little dialogue trees. And there's also little attentions to detail elsewhere in the game, like when you're on a map, you know, top-down view, 3D effect, as you as is with uh, Fire Emblem, little, like, flocks of birds will fly by on the map and stuff. Like, little things like that that they're, you do not have to put those in, but they put them in, and they're nice. I think the birds may have existed in the other Fire Emblems. I don't quite remember, but just when I saw it, I'm like, wow, this is, like, really... It feels like you're getting a very full, well-invested experience. Like, it's just they really went above and beyond with that. It just hit me. You went back to your 3DS. I did, and that was weird. That's so. That's what's super weird is I got used to the 720p. I got used to the big device that's really thin. Going to 3ds is actually kind of hard. Fire Emblem helps, but like going to that low res screen, going to that like, it just feels weird. Everything's just tiny. Yeah, and then even things like so. So Echoes has some these really nice animated cutscenes, fully animated, but they just feel so not as nice on the 3ds because the 3ds is hardware limitations. Like they're extremely. It's again to the to the props and for the presentation like the cutscenes are really well done but it's just kind of like they're sort of grainy on my switch they wouldn't be grainy but here they're grainy hmm. the other weird thing is like um i think i could be wrong but i think past fire Emblem games had those cutscenes in 3d like they layered the animations but it's 2d here i'm not sure maybe i'm misremembering but it that kind of jumped out at me but uh this whole comparison i'm doing with awakening and fates and echoes is actually one of the more interesting things about echoes is seeing what carried over from Awakening and Fates and what didn't. And that's because, for those who may not be as familiar with what Echoes is, it's based on the kind of oddball Fire Emblem in the series, Fire Emblem Gaiden. It was a Japan-only release that I think the best analogy I've been able to come up with as I'm playing through it and thinking, like, how does this stand out from the pack, is Zelda 2. Echoes and Gaiden, in the past, are basically the Zelda 2 of Fire Emblem, in that... Now, Ganon wasn't as ex- isn't as extreme of a change in terms of gameplay as Zelda 2 was compared to Zelda 1, but they both do this thing where they have this slant where it's like, hey, here's this world you remember from the other game, but explore it in this different perspective you haven't done before. So Zelda, that was all side-scrolling, right? In this one, they're like, well, you still got your top-down battles. You still got your map that used to go from battle battle, but we're going to throw you in a loop because we're going to put you in third-person dungeon crawling, like over-the-shoulder or like behind the back Zelda style, like 3D Zelda style dungeon crawling where you're exploring worlds. And that for Fire Emblem, which is strictly like a little sprite-based thing, is huge, right? So the dungeon crawling is actually kind of fun. It's I actually really like it a lot. It's um It feels very Zelda-esque. And you can walk around. You can break open crates for items. You have enemies that you engage with. And the combat, when you do engage with these enemies in a dungeon, drops you back into regular turn-based Fire Emblem. The only thing that's different is if you see the enemy on the map or on the dungeon in front of you, you can run up to them and do a first strike, just like in Mario and Luigi, for example, and then that, you know, drops damage on them when they are in the turn-based battle, like they're automatically damaged up front. So that's kind of a cool blending of Fire Emblem and the dungeon thing they're doing in that. It's still, you're still battling in Fire Emblem, but the way you navigate to those battles is now split between the old school, not old school, but the regular mapping system that you use to hop around and this new dungeon thing. Um... They also it sounds cool for people that have been playing the series like yeah consecutively at least since Awakening because I can imagine even even if it's only been two games yeah they have put out a lot of content as like we've definitely mentioned well yeah, I mean between I mean not even kind of the same between Awakening 
and then conquest birthright and epilogue <laughs> i mean yeah, that's revelations like, yeah yeah I mean, that's over 100 hours of could Fire someone, Emblem. Could someone listening please tweet one of us, tweet at Ram Nintendo with a screen with a Photoshop box that changes Fire Emblem Revelations to just Fire Emblem Epilogue, please, and thank you. We'll, we'll retweet you. But, uh, no, you're right. It, it, it really helps. And, like, they went – it wasn't just like, hey, let's just slap a dungeon in. I and mean, I can't walk. believe we're at the point where Fire Emblem needed to be, I know. like, refreshed. And here's the bit. thing. It's got to keep going because we now have Fire Emblem on Switch next year. We have Fire Emblem Warriors this year. We have Fire Emblem – we already have yeah. two this I, year. I mean, it's definitely – there's definitely no question that for a while, like, this has already – Yeah. Where would you put Fire Emblem as far as, like, Nintendo's hierarchy of current top franchises? Like, I mean, Metroid seems like it just fell off the face of the earth. That's because it did. The most Metroid Fox has gotten – like, Kind of there. The most Metroid has gotten. I guess it fell off last, after zero. I don't know. The most Metroid has gotten in the last uh, since Federation Force. And I don't know if that counts. Is a shirt at Uniqlo. That's the most <laughs> Metroid has gotten. Same with Star Fox. Actually, they got a shirt too. But well, I mean, they got a game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, but, but I think, actually, no, I think but more a more core Federation game than Force, Federation Force. Yeah, Federation Force came out after Zero, but Zero is more of a real game in the series than Federation. I mean, it Force, wasn't a yeah. spinoff. Yeah, exactly. But but Slippy's little robot. It got a full. A it got a core know, game and, and a spinoff spin on the same day. <laughs> yeah, but but um, the thing to kind of bring up your point or bring back go back to your point about the Fire Emblem kind of refreshing things. It's not like a sort of like lame attempt either. They're really going all in with the oh, yeah, thing. I mean, like no, it's really cool because like I mean, on top of your impressions, like I've heard. I mean, the reception just sounds like it's been really good, and I don't know. All of these kind of make me want to play Fire Emblem, but then I'm reminded what kind of game Fire Emblem is, and then I'm yeah, like, well, you don't oh. like turn-based strategy, so if you don't like turn-based strategy, you're not gonna like this because they it's not even just like <laughs> the strategy is not even just the turn-based stuff. Like that dungeon thing I was talking about, when you're in the dungeon, you are managing your party because going through the dungeon, doing the battles, there's now a fatigue system. It's like reverse stamina. So the deeper you go into the dungeon, the more battles you do against enemies in the dungeon, you eventually have to keep feeding your people in your party or evacuate them out of the dungeon, which then leaves you without those people. So, you now have not just the strategy of like, oh, turn base, but even when you're not doing the turn base, if you don't like strategy, you're stuck because now you have to micromanage your team, which fits for someone who likes Fire Emblem. But in your case, I don't know what you would do with that. Like, that would just further deter you, I feel like, you know? You know what's funny? Like, a lot of my favorite board games pretty much play out like Fire Emblem. Like Fire Emblem, yeah. except their board games, like Heroescape, is essentially Fire Emblem. Yeah. Like, you move your units, you can only move them a certain amount of space, then you have to battle, and then blah, blah, blah. But. No, no, it's almost Fire Emblem and um, Advanced Wars in particular. Well, they're the same game, just different themes. No, oh, yeah, really. Yeah. Like, let's let's be honest. I mean, I'm gonna I'm... get someone tweeting at me like you're wrong, <laughs> but no, they're the same. I mean, I mean, I mean, I played other strategy games. Like, I mean, I do yeah. like strategy games, but for some reason, Fire Emblem in particular, I think it's also just medi- medieval themes as I've mentioned before, like kind of turn me off. Oh yeah, just in yeah. general, like they're just not my cup of tea. Kind of the same thing with some specific sci-fi stuff like star wars star trek right. Battlestar, what firefly so anything with star in its name basically <laughs> well not firefly that doesn't have star in its name but yeah yeah but i i will say um i forgot oh, yeah. throw, just throw some ninja turtles in there yeah there you go ninja turtles in space but the the with fire i'm just kind of reel it back um i was kind of surprised like it's not just they're doing these refreshes they're making it feel fresh for people not just with the structure of the game even battling's different now like it's still turn-based oh, yeah, but they made the a number of changes yes so well so it's a remake of gaiden right fireman game which came out in, like 1992 in japan and because of that they decided to stay true to like the old fire emblem in terms of structure right so 
they got rid of a lot of the ancillary features, a lot of stuff that was added later on that you don't really need for just a turn-based game, but are there. So yeah, there is no more weapon, uh, rock, paper, scissors, weapon triangle. It's not like one weapon always trumps another. It's just you go head-to-head, whichever's stronger. There's also no more uh, pairing units together, which has been a huge part of Awakening and Fates, where you can have these units together so they do a double attack, or they can guard each other. So basically like with the guard stance is if you were attacked and you had someone paired with you, they'd come in and defend you too. So you got to like double, basically like a double tap on the guy that's attacking you. That's gone. Weapon system's gone. The upside of this, which maybe actually, I was just saying you might not like the dungeon system, but the upside of this is it streamlines the experience a lot, which maybe would get someone who's not as into strategy to check it out because it's literally just the basic stuff. I mean, there's there's difficulty, there's depth within it, but... Well, I mean, it sounds like they took us something that something that would clutter up the game yeah. in favor of other things so they could... Yeah, because they, like... I mean, the fact is, this is a remake of a 90s JRPG. Like, they, they wanted to... I think this isn't like they took Gaiden and said, let's take its premise and put it on Modern Fire Emblem. They took Gaiden and said, let's remaster it as... Like in the, the style of a modern Fire Emblem, which means so it's, like the, it's old the school. Final Fantasy games for yes. DS, right? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because it's it's the old school structure, and you can tell it's the old school structure. It's just modernizing presentation. Like you see it in the story. Like the story is much much more linear than Fates. Fates was full of choices. I mean, you had as you point out, Birthright Conquest epilogue, and every two minutes you had to decide this or next thing. You literally forked the story multiple times. This one's more direct and to the point. That's not to say it's bad. It's very well written. The voice acting is actually really good. And it's interesting and engaging, but it's just not complicated. It's like old 90s video games. It's just like, here's what's happening. The kingdom's under siege. You're going to go fight. You are now fighting. Oh, but you have Selisa over there. And you used to like you used to be friends with her when she was younger. Why are you doing that? Like, it's very, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just ABC versus these, like, branching webs of things, which is fine. Uh, they also just in how they tell the story it's way more simple like it's way more like stripped down so in Awakening and Fates as you may recall you wouldn't but anyone listening I now realize you wouldn't play. well no you know this everyone knows this the feetless legs in Awakening when people were walking around you couldn't see their feet they didn't have feet so well, they, they had, had they feet had, in they Fates had, they had hooves yeah exactly well that whole setup the only time you saw those were in cutscenes so when they were doing dialogue there'd be cameras swooping around all those people talking and everything and then they'd be like oh we have to go here now and you see them walk off and then they walk on in the next scene to where they are next in in uh, Echoes it's like the old talking heads of like a Super Nintendo game where it's just a dialogue box with the flat drawing of the person above it which is totally fine nothing wrong with that at all but I did it did strike me very early in the game where it's like oh um, you're at the village gate you need to go talk to your grandfather oh you talked to your grandfather now you need to go back to the village gate and one of the times I had you go back and forth it just did it all it did was it changed the background and it changed the talking head. But the, <laughs> the screen stayed the same. Like, it's the same dialogue set up and everything. I'm like, oh, this is how games used to be. It's very... That's what I mean where it's like old school structure. Like the old school skeleton, but modernized. Like, it has the voice acting. It has obviously better graphics. But they didn't, like, do 3D cutscenes for us and anything. And, um... Like, to be clear... Just to be abundantly clear, because I feel like it sounds like I'm knocking it. I am not knocking it. I think... I think all the streamlining, all the old school stuff actually works. It sound like you're knocking it. I mean, it sounds pretty glowing overall. No, I mean, I'm talking about like the fact that they're like, oh, they, they just have you jump back and forth between dialogue boxes. Like, that's fine. It's great. Oh, it's okay. Fine. Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking like this. But uh, like, I'm actually enjoying the battles, I'd say, equally to how I felt about the last Fire Emblems. In fact, now I'm enjoying them equally, but they are possibly more difficult at times than, than the old ones. And um, 
you know, there's something to be said for the back to basic. So, I mean, it was a given that you weren't going to beat this game, so the difficulty mm. pretty much guarantees it. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, I got decently far so far, but yeah, I, yeah. I will give you that. You do get decently far, but not far enough that I would want yeah. you to go. It really, does, it really does feel like a perfect bridge, though, between like old school gaming and like modern Fire Emblem. And actually, to that point, it's also a really good bridge for people who enjoyed Fire Emblem Heroes on their phone and kind of log into the rest of the franchise. Because beyond just like the streamlined battle system, it puts in a lot of stuff that makes it a little more friendly to newbies. Like, if you were ever to jump in for any reason, this would be the one because it is missing some stuff. But it has a lot that makes it just sort of a little friction, less friction. For example, this is true of the last few Fire Emblems, casual modes back. You don't have to have all your people die as soon as they die. Like, in normal Fire Emblem, in old Gaiden, if they died, they're gone forever. You don't get that character back. They've introduced casual mode the last few to let you do that. Unless it's the main character. Unless it's the main character, yeah. yeah. But most of them are, yeah. So the other thing they add, though, and this is what's really new with Echoes, is something called Mila's Turn Wheel. And it's a completely optional feature that lets you rewind a move or two, like a mistake you've made. It's an undo button for Fire Emblem. So it's all—it's not always available to be – like obviously there's parts where you're like, well, no, we're not going to let you redo that. But, you know, if you make a bad move or something, you can undo it. And I only had to use it like once. But it's there for people that maybe are used to heroes or maybe want to get into Fire Emblem but don't really know what it's about. Honestly, that sounds like something like a hardcore Fire Emblem player would really love because yeah. – uh, it, it's kind of, I mean, it's definitely hypocritical that I, I know, like, hardcore Fire Emblem players that, like, beat their games or, like, oh, I, I can't let anyone I, die. I like how the definition of hardcore Fire Emblem fan, because you're talking to me, is they beat their game. <laughs> well, find more hardcore. No, no, I know what you mean. I'm not hardcore by any means. I just find it's like, you know, the Fire Emblem fans that beat their games. Like, the ones that I know, like, obsess over the, yeah. the fact that they have to keep everyone left throughout. And, yeah. But every single time, like, I know they die, like, many, many times. They've restarted their game so many well, that's, times. Well, that's a little trick, but Mio's turn wheel. No, I know exactly. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's a nice built-in system that I feel like just kind of satisfies that. And yeah. I like the fact that you can't abuse it either. So. Yeah. And and I think, like I said, I think it's great for Because they knew. Like, but they I developed this game knowing Heroes was going to be a gateway for some people. So they this, this the casual mode, the stripping out of ancillary features that aren't really crucial to the strategy, like, all that makes it really you know welcoming to newer players while also different enough that regular players of the series will find something new in it and something fun in it and it won't just feel like a rehash because don't get me wrong awakening and fates are very very good games they're very good games they're just kind of samey samey so echoes gives you something different for those who are familiar with the franchise gives you a good entry point for those who aren't familiar with the franchise and it's just a really good game overall and there's no negative con- consequence of taking this different route it's different but still very fun. And I, I think, I think like, Nintendo's smart that if they're going to do a third Fire Emblem on the 3DS, like the third in however many years, you might as well do something like this. And and I think they, they hit the nail on the head with it. Like, I think they did a good job. I will say, correction, from last episode, one quick thing to note, which a listener pointed out to us. Thank you for pointing this out to us. Um, we were talking about Echo's DLC, which I haven't touched at all. I don't know if I'm going to, because Echo's itself is pretty meaty still. Not as long as other Fire Emblems. I, re- estimates I've read are like it's about 30 hours. I think others. I think Fates was like 60 or 70 or something. So it's short. Well, I mean, it did have... But that's because there's con- two of them. Yeah, Conquest yeah. versus an epilogue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but... <laughs> but, um, yeah, one correction worth knowing is we said last episode, I'm talking about the DLC, that this is the first Fire Emblem where the price of the DLC exceeds the price of the game, and that's the most expensive DLC, yada, yada. Turns out Awakening and Fates 
with all said and done, their DLC did also exceed the price of the game. I think where we got hung up is probably that um, they didn't announce all of it quite in the same way in advance, but I could be wrong about that too, but yeah, I just wanted to say to those who thought we were telling the truth, we were not, and we didn't know until we were corrected, so just throwing that out there. But yeah, check out Echoes. It's a good game. <laughs> so yeah, that, I think that pretty much does it for this episode, unless you got anything else. I do not. Oh, well, I guess that does it then. So... We'll be back in two weeks' time, everyone, on June 11th, E3 Eve, literally the two days before Nintendo's press conference at e- or uh, showcase, Switch showcase at E3, and we will be back with, of course, whatever news is coming in to that E3 home stretch. We're having impressions of Tumble Seed, which we were originally going to do this episode, but we realized we, we have kind of a lot already. That game uh, is hard. Fire Emblem hard? Well, you have no Harder. point of comparison. Oh, but you have no point point of comparison i mean i've played fire emblem before but not not this goes no but I, mean, uh, I, I get the idea yeah yeah but we're, we're now i tumble see we're also gonna have your impressions of ultra street fire 2 the final challenger so if this was jason's what i'm playing episode next episode is totally your the angel what i'm playing episode but yeah of course we have all the big news in between um and if you want to make sure you don't miss it easiest way to do that as always is subscribe to us on whatever podcasting app you use be it itunes stitcher google play music you name it we're there likewise uh if your app happens to accept reviews and you like us we'd appreciate a rating it helps us out with our egos and primarily just our egos not gonna lie uh and yeah we'll be back in two weeks time you can also follow us on twitter at ram nintendo you can follow us individually on twitter to see what we think of i don't know how we're handling arms and the next waves of test punches or e3 buzz or you know if there's another rabbits leak who melts down first i'm at jsr7 uh angel is at wero w-e-i-r-o underscore o I didn't say that last episode. How horrible. I've said it 150 out of 151 episodes. My streak is done. Five and a half years of saying it. And I yeah, that's it. quite the record to break. I know. It's very disappointing. It actually is. It is. Yeah. So. We should have gone back. So follow it. me on Twitter to see how depressed I got over my record here. And follow him to see him gloat about how I screwed up the record. And yeah, that does it. So we'll see you June 11th. It's E3 season. And that's exciting. And I... Bye. I don't know what to do.